Hello everyone and welcome to Millennial Rewind, where we take a not-so-sentimental look at the movies and TV shows that were around when millennials were growing up. I'm your host, Nick, coming to you from the Zion of the West Coast, Los Angeles, California. And I am once again alone here in the City of Angels. Jules continues to pursue his rap career in Italy. The last we heard, he's doing an eight-mile thing in Milan. Mom's Spaghetti is supposedly really good there. But I am not alone entirely, because joining me from the runny eggs slash snot-flavored slop of Southern California, the Inland Empire, is my other co-host, John. John, what's happening? I can taste sounds. (laughs) There's this guy giving out free pills in San Bernardino. (laughs) And you got to pick your favorite color based on smell. Did you take the red pill or the blue pill, John? Green. Oh, God. And before we explain what that's all about, if you like what you hear today, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe button. Also, be sure to share the show with anyone you might think would like to listen as well. So this week, we watched The Matrix. That's right, the landmark film from 1999. And John, how would you tell somebody you watch The Matrix without using the title? Well, Nick, it's quite simple as long as you adjust your perspective to synchronize with the waveforms of hyperreality. See, anyone with basic knowledge of sight, smell, etc., they understand these sensations to be interpretations, electrochemical stimuli occurring in our brains. Therefore, reality, as we commonly know it, is just a shared experience of brain okay, responses. Okay, 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 John. All right, that's. Uh, I think we've 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 had enough there. Cool, cool. Thanks for all that. Hey, no problem. Happy to oblige. And Nick, with Jules still gone, do you have maybe an alternate title in case they couldn't use The Matrix? What should they have used? So I went with The Metaphortrix, colon, wow, that CGI didn't age well. (laughs) Because wow, that CGI in a lot of cases did not age well. I actually popped in my old DVD version of this, so... The image quality, not as great as we're used to nowadays. And yeah, there were still a few moments where it was pretty noticeably bad. Our, our brains hadn't seen better yet. This was the no. pinnacle at the time. So yeah. Yeah, there were times when the CGI was on par with a Linkin Park video from the same era. So yeah. <laughs> you said that right as I was taking a drink, you bastard. Yeah, I almost <laughs> killed you. <laughs> yeah, at the time, you know, we didn't know any better and... I saw this in theaters. This is one I actually managed to see in theaters multiple times. Okay. Saw it when it first came out over spring break, actually. Unlike most people in the Midwest, when spring break came, you know, winter's at the end, I would go to Colorado and go snow skiing because I'm not big on the beach, which is why I live in Southern California for some reason. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, I know. Totally. I saw it out there and then we got back to school and I was like, shit, guys, you have got to see this movie. So I kept taking people to the movie theater to watch it over (laughs) and over again. For people who weren't there or weren't conscious of it at the time, it cannot be underestimated or understated how impactful this movie was. We're going to be making fun of the special effects now, but when they came out, they were goddamn mind-blowing. It was a revolution in special effects. I saw some statistic, and it was that bullet scene on the rooftop. It was something like within four years, like by 2003, it had been parodied and mocked and, you know, copied in at least 20 movies at least five movies a year 
were copying this thing. It just, it was everything. It changed everything. It changed everything. Yeah. It was being parodied in movies. I remember commercials were parodying it. It was, like I said, you cannot understate how impactful this movie was. Fucking Deuce Bigelow, male gigolo, had a scene where shit's being thrown at him and he does the lean back weed thing. Yeah. Literally everywhere. It blew everyone's minds in terms of, oh my gosh, what if we're actually living in the Matrix? Like having those dorm conversations in high school dumbass teenagers who are not aware of philosophy or just life in general sparking that conversation about philosophical concepts that maybe the layman wasn't really aware of and it was just insanely impactful and as you're saying it became parodied to the point where now watching it it almost feels like it's self-parody yeah that makes sense yeah and i'm pretty sure i saw this in theaters too this was in south africa this was kind of like starting to be when movies were catching like actually coming out you know at the same oh, so time you didn't as have to wait like a full year to like spring or summer of 2000 to see it? i don't think think so i feel like this came out on time and so this was like it came out <laughs> on, time. <laughs> on time yeah versus like you know i would go watch a bug's life while visiting family in the states and then literally a year later it would come out in south africa i would go watch it again in the theaters in south africa so i'm trying to remember what year it was it was easily like 1996 or 1997 we did we did do a family spring break down to cancun and one of the movie theaters there was showing the little mermaid so you know maybe speaking of things just getting their way it's just a tangent that popped in my head so this was the second feature film of the i guess now wachowski sisters technically yeah it's, it's just the wachowskis now they were billed as the Wachowski brothers when this came out, as we all know that they are now, well, they, I guess they were and still are trans and they just didn't feel comfortable coming out then. We'll talk about a bit more. A lot of folks in the trans community saw a trans allegory in the Matrix. There's quite a bit there. Yeah. I mean, it just wasn't in the public consciousness at the time, but now that we won just trans community in general and certain specifics about their life, there's a lot that you can pull from this on that yeah yeah for sure and i mean i think like as the details come up we can talk about it a bit more i think like i mean again neither of us are trans and don't necessarily understand that experience but i feel like it's vague enough where it could also apply to other experiences like you could definitely look at it as a mental health allegory because for a lot of the same reasons we bring that up a bit more when we get into the that but one thing i will say like looking at it with some hindsight is that it is just thick with symbolism and metaphor i mean they torture metaphors so bad they might as well be prisoners <laughs> in abu Ghraib. it is just gratuitous at points no comment i mean sure <laughs> I, I, apparently i'm the one who's going to hell in every episode now i oh I, I am too probably i don't know when the banter starts maybe i don't have any specific i'm going to hell notes but yeah it's just i actually stopped taking notes on like the metaphor stuff i was just like um, no i'm done yeah it insists upon itself in certain ways and i think like when you're a kid and you're not aware of that sort of stuff like you just kind of filter it out and you go for a ride but as you get older and smarter hopefully and you are a bit more aware of philosophical concepts and symbolism and all these things you watch it again and you start to become aware of these things and you're like wow it is 
it is oppressive and persistent. It's still a great movie. It is still fantastic. It is still a must-watch film, and there are certain scenes that are just chef's kiss fantastic still, like, 20-plus years later on. But, yeah, it's starting to show its age a bit. And it spawned two sequels and a shitty video game that was buggy as fuck. Did you ever play... Well, there were a few video games, so which one in particular are you talking about? It was, like, the third-person shooter with Jada Pickett-Smith, and they got Monica Bellucci from The Matrix Reloaded. Oh, okay. I forget what that one was called. But yeah, that, that was sort of the, what was going on with them during the second movie, like when they're not on screen, this is kind of yes. what their stuff was. And then there was another one that was called Path of Neo, which was not good. Neither of these were good. They were, they were um, But then they also had the messes. Animatrix to flesh out the backstory a bit. I enjoyed that, especially kind of, the, the they did the two-parter anime style episodes where they go into the the rise of the machines and how the world became as it is. It's really brutal. Yeah, basically scenes. the machines are actually the good guys in this whole situation who just really want the best for humanity. It was like, stop treating us like shit. You can go to sleep. I mean, they even reference in this one, the very first one was a fucking paradise. They wanted the best for the yeah. humans, really. But my favorite thing is unfortunately not real. There was a magazine, I think it was a gaming magazine, I forget which one, but every April they would just do, they would just fill their magazine with fake shit and spoof stuff. And <laughs> And they promoted a Matrix cereal called Neos. <laughs> and and uh, inside every box, you got a few pages of script to help fill out what the fuck is going on in these movies. And it had just all this great stuff on the box, like now with red pills. And it has like Keanu on there just holding his hand up with a thought bubble saying there is no spoon. He's not holding a spoon, but his hand is up there. Oh my God. That's the amazing. greatest fucking thing. Neos. Neos. <laughs> with the oh, hyphen God. with the hyphen in it yeah so let me talk about the cast a bit neo the main character played by keanu reeves yeah looking back at the casting of that role that went through some like rigmarole shit before they ended up with with him oh yeah i mean we could do an entire episode on who was considered for these parts oh yeah i mean there's, there's pages and pages of trivia about this stuff just a short list. Uh, Will Smith was one of the big ones. Turned it down to go do Wild Wild West. And For which he won two Razzies. Worst song and worst on-screen couple with Kevin Klein. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much. <laughs> That's Selma Hayek. Oh, God. That, that, is, that has got to be on the list at some point. Oh, absolutely. With Will Smith, I was looking at this stuff, and I found things that said it was his biggest regret. And then I had others where he was totally cool with it and said, you know, I wasn't a mature enough actor to be able to handle that kind of subject matter, and the movie turned out great. So I don't know who to believe. Tom Cruise was considered. Johnny Depp was also like a one that the Wachowskis really wanted. But the producers apparently tried to get Sandra Bullock for Neo. Well, they really just wanted Sandra Bullock. So changing Neo to a female was one option. They also apparently approached her to play Trinity. And <laughs> she turned that down because at the time it was supposed to be Will Smith. I was unable to find what sort of issue she had working with Will Smith. I have no idea where that rift would be. But that's why she initially turned down. And then it wound up going to Keanu. And, you know, and they had done speed together and stuff like that. But Yeah, you think. 
another person who apparently said, you know what? It worked really well, and the chemistry with him and Moss was wonderful, and they're they're very nice about the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, I think that at some point they want to work at the Wachowskis. Who knows? But it's also just a thing with big Hollywood movies. There's always a big list of, oh, who almost got the role. Right. Yeah, you get that all over the place. But yeah, these were a couple very famous examples. So. Famous examples for a movie that, again, like a landmark movie, a movie that changed the game in so many ways that blew people's minds that was heavy on the philosophy and the symbolism but also like weirdly approachable because everyone could relate to the struggles in it slash just the action was incredible is incredible still incredible sci-fi cyberpunk mind job and so why don't we get into that cyberpunk mind job we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we'll start breaking down the matrix Welcome, Neo. My name is Morpheus. I know you've been searching for me, Neo, and I'm sure you must have many questions about our world. I do. Like, why are you wearing a Ponce-Nez in 1999? That's your first question? No, don't you want to know what the Matrix is? Sure, why not? The Matrix is all around us. It is the air you breathe, and it is with you when you go to work, when you sit in your car. When you take a shit. Whoa. Sounds like a stalker. It is. And yet it is so much more. But I can't simply tell you what the Matrix is. You'll have to see it for yourself. I feel like you could, but you're just being mysterious for the sake of being mysterious. You have a choice, Neo. Take the blue pill. And you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. Take the red pill and... Oh! Oh my god! Uh, You took both of them! Oh, man, I really should have taken those with water. Oh, it's like stuck in my throat. The blue pill, it wipes your memory. And the red pill is a tracer program and opens you up to the Matrix so that we can find it. You're not supposed to take these at the same time, man. I am one with everything. And everything is one with me. (laughs) Oh, crap. I can see beyond sight. I even see the Matrix, which is a computer simulation designed to entrap humans' minds while the machines that took over the world use them as batteries. See how easy that was to explain, Morpheus? Like, really, really easy? Yeah, okay, so I prefer to show rather than tell. Sue me. Unplugging me from the Matrix without giving me the full scope of what I was signing up for would have been incredibly problematic. Anyway, I'm gonna go be a literal god now. Man, nothing is going according to plan. Oh, righteous! I found the Matrix's porn folder. Hey, Morpheus, you wanna watch some Matrix porn with me? You know what? Show me how deep this rabbit hole goes. <laughs> and we're back. And we're going to start off with a green version of the Warner Brothers logo. And I really appreciate the fact that Warner Brothers lets movies get creative with its logos for certain movies. It does it with Harry Potter. On my DVD, there's a commentary track. It's Carrie Ann Moss, the VFX supervisor, and God, I forget. I want to say the cinematographer. But anyway, <laughs> one of the guys right as it opens, he's like, yeah, we really wanted to mess with the company logos just to make them not quite right and a little weird because, well, we just see them as the evil soul sucking machines and just it's kind of a fuck you to them. <laughs> <laughs> And 
we see a bunch of the the trademark Matrix vertical code stream, and we hear Trinity and Cipher already talking about how the fact that she thinks that somebody might be the one. However, they might not be on a secure line, and she's gotta go, and they really breadcrumb this betrayal that we're gonna talk about later, very early on, like from literally the Yeah, because she's like, what was that? Oh, I didn't notice anything, that sort of deal. Also, she mentions that Cipher tells her, you know, why are you relieving me on this shift? Like, shift for what? Like, yeah, what shift that didn't doing? make a lot of sense now knowing how shit operates in that world. It, it's yeah. something that never stood out to me before, but it seemed very odd on this viewing. We open up to some cops going down a hallway in a sketchy hotel. They burst in on Trinity, played by Carrie Ann Moss, who's uh, watching Neo on a laptop next to a dial-up phone, uh, pinned in that dial-up phone. Outside, three agents show up. So the agents, they're dressed in, you know, suits. They've got, you know, very slick hair, sunglasses. They've got the earpieces in the ears. Never wear the sunglasses at night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's just all I could think of when they stepped out. <laughs> Amazing. And so the main agent, Agent Smith, the other two apparently have names, but I don't think they're ever mentioned in the movie. Agent Smith, the main one played by Hugo Weaving, talks to one of the cops. They got about the, you know, uh, you can take that your jurisdiction and shove it up your ass. This is dialogue, apparently. And he says, you know, Lieutenant, your men are already dead, although the lieutenant is wearing captain bars. So that's not... So that inside Trinity murders the three cops who try to arrest her. And we get this is where we get one of the first many parodied special effects. It's the she jumps up in the crane to do a crane kick and the camera swoops around her as she kicks this cop. Yeah, swoops around like the scene just freezes as the camera moves around. And man, just that first time, just what is this? She's running on the wall, like even takes a corner as she does. So and you're just like, wait, what, what, what the fuck is this? What is happening? Again, stuff like this is so commonplace now because these modern special effects techniques have been so well developed and CGI has matured. Like this was fucking mind blowing mm-hmm. watching it the first time. So after she beats crap out of the cops, gets a phone call from who we will learn later is Morpheus, tells her the call was traced and she's going to need to find another hard line out and gives her a location for one. By the way, other than to create a story obstacle, how do hard lines in any way make sense in the world of the Matrix? Like you need a hard line to get out. You can communicate over cell phones. Yeah, which are which you know it's all the Matrix. It's all code. Like you could. Yeah, I it doesn't know. make sense conceptually. It doesn't make sense at least from where I'm sitting. I need more neos. <laughs> yes, I'll eventually find the pages that'll explain it. So we get the rooftop scene, which is really kind of odd because they wanted to film on actual rooftops but couldn't. So they did a bit of redressing, but it's the same set from Dark City, which is really, yeah, which is another amazing movie came out only just a year before that I was not allowed to see at the time when it came out. But there's so many shots that are similar to Dark City, like the looking up from an alleyway as they jump between buildings or the look like when she looks down and sees the agent moving. Yeah, if you're able to find the roof scene from Dark City, check it out. It's not just the set. Yeah, I was about to say, because this looks very much like a set. Like, obviously, they shot this on a soundstage. And something I'd never noticed before until this viewing was the smoking billboard 
for a gun store <laughs> on the rooftop. It's a large picture of a desert eagle, and at the end of the barrel, there's like smoke comes out. And God, billboards would be so much more interesting if you could like do that shit still. It's just steam. Don't worry. It's just it's steam. just steam. Yeah. You know. And by the way, desert eagle, it's the gun of the agents, so that's also apropos. So yeah, as you're saying, like she jumps across the street from one building to another. The agent jumps too, and the cops that are with them are like, "Well, that's impossible." And by the way, how did the agent not find her immediately? She hides around a chimney that's like 20 feet away like she obviously just ran around the corner no go fuck myself batman skills <laughs> uh, so then she runs and superman dives through a window this is gonna be the first of many times that i say the cgi in this shot yeah, did this not shot age did well not age well no. even on dvd quality she kind of has a moment of fear she's like pointing guns back on the window she jumped through and she's like you know get up trinity get up and she gets up and runs because that was an important thing to do mm-hmm. this is an over two hour movie don't need to pad the time wachowskis don't need to pad for time so she makes it to a phone booth remember those remember using phone booths back in the day uh remember uh... and so she sees that this is i guess the hard line out of wherever she's supposed to be and this garbage truck that happens to go by turns around points directly at the phone booth and she's got to like run and picks up the phone as it's ringing right before the truck smashes into it and out of the truck steps one of these agents what's going on here how'd he get in that truck so the three agents kind of observe the wreckage. Uh, there's no body, so uh, Trinity got out. And they say that the informant is real, and they know who their next target is. Neo. <laughs> I love when we randomly do shit in unison. It's great. It's great. We're very in sync. Cut to sleepy Keanu Reeves sleeping at his desk, listening to 90s music on headphones. He's a very considerate neighbor. He's not blasting his music. That is pretty kind. And somehow, the words wake up appear on his computer screen, even though the computer's completely silent, and he does. Yeah. This makes less sense than Joe whistling in the middle of a rainstorm to wake up Corny in Santa Claus. Yeah, this is this is ridiculous. <laughs> but it does wake him up, apparently. And this text tells him that the Matrix has him, and he's got to follow the white rabbit and thus begins the first of many tortured metaphors in this movie they are going to beat this alice in wonderland metaphor to death and one of my few true nitpicks of this movie he's bewildered by this text showing up and so he does control x to try and get rid of it yeah if you're an awesome cyber criminal you know you at least need to like select the text before you try and cut it you know yeah he should know his keyboard shortcuts and how to properly implement them he really should this is bullshit movies are still learning how to computer even today so i'm surprised they didn't describe what control x does <laughs> i mean to be honest it's it's giving yeah. movie computers a lot of grandma credit. control x means yeah. little, little little uh banner pops up at the bottom of the screen <laughs> so the text predicts a knock at the door and uh, he opens up and there's some 90s goths outside one of them i had down is oompa loompa goth fabio <laughs> The main dude who's there gives him two grand for a mini disc. He's paying him for a mini disc. I don't know what's uh, on here. Discs. And by the way, so the carved out book that he gets the mini discs mm-hmm. out of, Simulacra and Simulation, an 80s philosophy book from a French philosopher named Jean Baudrillard that was apparently mandatory reading. One of three books that yes. the actors had to read and be able to explain the philosophy listen before they were even allowed to read the script. God, that's so pretentious. Jesus. 
<laughs> but anyways, yeah, they put the they put the assigned reading for the cast in the movie. So there's a little tidbit for you, listener. So the guy who's buying the mini disc, remember mini discs? You remember those? I remember the way of the future. Oh God, right there with laser discs. I mean, it was a little bit <laughs> right before MP3 players. I was just about to say it's right there with like remember an MP3 player where you had a dedicated device solely for your music. <laughs> yep, <laughs> iPods and shit. Anyways, so this guy tells him that he's his save. You know, the guy who tells me, you know, that he's his savior, his own personal Jesus Christ. And again, another on the nose metaphor right yes, fucking to which there. I have in all caps, metaphor, foreshadowing. You are the Christ figure in this movie, Neo. Did you know that? Did you know, Neo? And then right after that one, we have um, casual drug use talk and then how he needs to just unplug. Ah, so on the nose. There's definitely a George Lucas effect in this movie where so much of the the skill and the craftsmanship went to the world building and the special effects and the dialogue kind of gets, you know, yeah, swept under the It's spotty. But there's some it's great fun. moments, too. For sure, for sure. So the, the dude who bought the disc invites Neo to go out. Neo initially says no, but he changes his mind when he sees that one of the girls in the posse has a white rabbit tattooed to his her shoulder. And the computer text that woke him up said, follow the white rabbit. So here we go. And now we're in a Rob Zombie goth club. And I want to go to this Rob Zombie goth club. This place looks fun. It's dirty. It's dirty. It's grungy. <laughs> the music's great. Everyone's dressed amazingly. I want to go to this place. Anyways, so they filmed in uh, Sydney, Australia. Right. That helped keep costs down, but they couldn't find any like trashy neighborhoods to film in. So they still had to build all these sets anyway. Because <laughs> they yeah. wanted like crappy, decrepit, ghetto-y American inner city type locales. And Sydney apparently is just too clean. Way to go, Australia. Way to not be a fucking America. hell's game. Yeah, it's way to not be America. So Neo stands away from the others because he's so goth he doesn't conform to the other nonconformists. I'm such a nonconformist. I'm not going to conform with you guys. Okay, I'll join your dance crew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just stands next to the South wall. Park. Yeah, obligatory South Park reference. And then Trinity comes up to him and knows his name, calls him Neo. And he's like, how do you know that name? And she says, I know a lot about you. And that doesn't answer the fucking question, Trinity. Trinity not answering the fucking question is going to be a subplot in this film. All right, I need to get something out of the way right now with Carrie Ann Moss. Okay. In the early 90s... Uh, it was like six or seven years before this. She was on a single season TV show called Matrix. No fucking way. Yeah, it was the main character's last name was like Steven Matrix or something like that. But the show was just called Matrix. And it was about a hitman who had kind of died but gets a second chance at redemption. Kind of like a highway to heaven sort of thing. Okay. But his methods of helping people was he's still a brutal hitman. So it was still like he was still doing all kinds of violence and horrible things. But this time for a good cause. More oh. importantly, she is in an episode of Baywatch. Yes. Yes, she is. <laughs> Listener, John sent me this scene of Carrie Ann Moss in Baywatch. And I have seen some demented shit in my life. But my God. God, this scene is demented. This episode, in the beginning, it's um, she actually plays two characters, Gwen and Maddie. They're twin sisters. And Maddie is the outgoing, exotic, sexy one who's a bit dangerous, you know. And then Gwen is the plain, homely, shy one, which you know because they totally do the glasses and ponytail and frumpy sweater look on her. <laughs> but it turns out that's not 
true. She actually has dissociative personality disorder. And the clip that I showed Nick was her doing a mirror scene where she switches back and forth between the two sisters. <laughs> Which could have been good if it wasn't written by the Baywatch writers. I know. Like, she does a really good job. But right. the one she had to work with is, well, I mean, it's Baywatch. <laughs> yeah. But it turns out she did have a, by the end of the episode, it turns out she did have a twin sister who had drowned. And that's what caused the split psyche because she blamed herself for that when they were uh, really little. Everything we do is related to Baywatch. That's that's the foundation of Millennial Rewind. Somehow. So mentions that she her she's Trinity and this really impresses Nina. He's like, ooh, you cracked the IRS D-base. Just call it a fucking database, dude. Like, nobody calls it a D-base and if they do, they're an asshole. Yeah, I didn't really understand that. Like, when I first watched it, I was just young enough. Like, I knew what the IRS was, but I thought it was IRS D and then they had a base somewhere. Like, she hacked in to a base and insulation. <laughs> No, but it's their database, and he's like, you know, hey, I, I I thought you were a guy, and she's like, most guys do because it's the '90s, and girls don't do computers. What? Girls don't do computers, and this movie continues the grand '90s tradition of like flirting with girl power, but not leaning into it. You know, even with Trinity, who kicks a lot of ass, there's still something restrained about her character. At least she's not the one that needs to be saved in this movie. Yeah, at least not in this movie. He clicks, like, oh fuck, you're the one who woke me up with text earlier because that made sense yes yes it did and she explains that she brought him to the club because he's in danger you know they're watching you who is just listen just fucking tell it like so, like she 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 is cryptic in this there's movie no for the time sake for of that the, there's no time for that even though there's all the time for that there's a lot of lack of time in this movie she understands that you know why he's up every night and that she used to be just like him that you're looking for him him being morpheus and it's the question that drives him and what is that question what is the Matrix. And the answer is 42. Movie over. Movie over. Roll credits. We did finally it, found did the question. Did it, did it. And so instead of telling him anything of substance or like getting him out of the Matrix now, like at this moment because he's in danger, tells him that the answer is going to find him. Just going to be super cryptic and vague and we're going to risk you getting caught by agents. That's what we're going to do. This scene should have happened after he encountered the agents. Like if I were to rewrite this film or to give like script notes, this scene happened too early. Yep, but instead they're going to risk him getting arrested by the agents or possibly just falling to his death. Yeah, and we're we're, we're almost there now. You know, it's a chance worth taking. It's a chance worth taking because, you know, he might be the one who saves everyone from the Matrix, so, you know, good roll of the dice there. So, Neo is late for work. He comes into the office and we see him at his 90s corporate job because we're still in the 90s, very anti-corporate. This is the era of office space and fight club and it's very much in that tradition there's a wonderful match mashup video of him trying to elude the agents and then it's intercut with bill lumberg trying to find peter in office space and whoever put this together edited the office space so it still has that weird green tinge to everything and it actually fits together really well that is amazing <laughs> And here's the thing. He works for a software company. Why in the fuck is he wearing a suit? I know zero <laughs> programmers who wear suits. Oh, God, that didn't occur to me. But the moment you said it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. The boss basically gives him the company is like a clock speech from The Incredibles. <laughs> yes. 
And basically, he calls him out for having a problem with authority, that if he doesn't get his act together, he's going to lose his jobs. And we we already start with the theme of choice for Neo. Like, like So he chooses to go back and sit at his desk and do nothing. <laughs> he's just sitting there when the FedEx guy shows up. This computer is off. I know, yes. He's sitting at an off computer. Yes, it is. Is he programming analog programming? Like he's like, I don't know, got a notepad that he's scribbling on? Who No. Like I said, the, the theme of like Neo choosing or being presented with choices is going to be a consistent thing throughout the movie. So this is one of the, well, we've, he's already chosen to go out to party. Now he's presented with a very clear choice. He's chosen to keep his job and not rock the boat. Yeah, like we said, sitting at an off computer, not doing anything. FedEx guy brings him a package and in the package is the coolest phone of of all time. Nokia! Okay, so here's the thing. This is a Nokia. I call it Nokia. It was pronounced Nokia in South Africa. I'm not changing my pronunciation Whatever. for anyone. So Nokia 8810. 8110. Yes, there you go. But they took the spring opening mechanism from the 7110. So this is a Franken phone. This phone was never commercially available. They made it special for the movie. Mm-hmm. It immediately rings when he takes it out of the package and he acts like phones are not supposed to do that (laughs) well it'd be shocking to just be like you open a package and there's a phone and the instant like you pour it in your hand it rings that'd be a little bit jarring a little bit jarring but i feel like he overreacts to it but anyways that's just me whoa whoa, 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 whoa. keanu overreacts whoa (laughs) i remember even this character and performance being parodied as being like very flat and wooden when i watch it it's actually just really fucking subdued he has a lot of nuance in his performance it's quite amazing he does although there are moments where it gets a little wacky and i'm going to point them out later oh please do so on the phone it is morpheus played by Lawrence fishburne and he tells neo that he's been looking for him and even though he doesn't know if he's ready for what he wants to show him they've run out of time what the fuck are you waiting for? You could have, like, come to the club with Trinity and talked to him there. Like, we, we've been over this. Nope. No time. Gotta, gotta tell you where to go. Which turns to make through the cubicles and office doors and such. Yeah, because, like, the agents have shown up with cops and they're trying to look for him. And Morpheus has, has just, like, he knows things that he couldn't possibly know, but Neo has, has to trust him. So, yeah, dives to the cubicle next door, dodges them, goes down the hallway to an office... Once he's there, he's like once again presented with a binary choice. You have two choices. One, you can go outside the window and crawl to the scaffolding to get to the rooftop, or you can leave in the agent's custody. That is your choice. And he hangs up and leaves him with that. And Neo tries to get to the scaffolding, but he looks down twice. They do the looking down and the whoa thing. They do it twice within like a minute. So it loses its impact. Well, one is just whoa. And then the second is he drops the phone. Right. Which, again, is another effect that did not age very well. That phone kind of hovering, doing a slow-mo, and then falling. How many really big buildings that have these, like, floor-to-ceiling windows have you been in that you can open those? I have never seen a latch. I have never seen a latch. (laughs) Maybe they just build them different in Australia. Who knows? Want to get a nice and brazy up here? Jesus. And so he gets led to an agent's car and Trinity sees this and drives away. And how in the fuck did they not see her? She is literally 10 feet in front of the agent's car and she's dressed like a goth dominatrix. She sticks out like a sore thumb. Well, Hugo Weaving did notice her. He turns towards her. She notices that in the mirror and that's when she fucks off out of there. I feel she could have parked a little further away. I don't know. This is bad espionage. Just throwing that out there. Yeah, but she had, he had to get everything in the same frame. Fine, movie. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that we see a wall of monitors. Uh, ne- well, through a wall of monitors, Neo is sitting in a sterile interrogation room. And do we determine in later movies that this is the architect's room? Um, I don't know. I don't think that's ever really established. Because, it look. I mean, it just looks like security footage. Yeah, it's just there to be there. It, it, yeah, I think like maybe if you reconned it that it's the architect's room, maybe it makes more sense that the architect's watching. The whole architect scene... Um, the dialogue there's a retcon because originally it was supposed to reveal in this movie that there were previous iterations of Neo but that he failed and died solidly fighting the agents rather than this is a cycle that repeats yeah so Agent Smith walks in and tells him that you know look you've been leading a double life one is Thomas Anderson who works for a respectable software company another is Neo a computer hacker who has basically broken all the cyber laws and they've been watching him for some time and so for whatever reason they didn't watch him meeting up with Trinity, which would have been a good place to... I'm overthinking this movie. In this scene, Agent Smith refers to him as a program writer, which is not what most people call that job. Like, you're a computer program, you're a coder, you're a software engineer, but like, a program writer? Like, on what planet was that ever It lets you know something's off about him. Cool. Also, if you want to think too much about shit, Neo's passport expires on uh, September 11th, 2001. Well, fuck. <laughs> the Wachowskis did 9-11 confirmed. <laughs> See, the media just knew about it all beforehand. They were priming you. Yeah, the, the Illuminati put it in the movie, and then that's yep. what made the 9-11. Anyways, yep. so they're willing to wipe the slate clean if he helps them bring in Morpheus. And he's like, you know what? How about I give you the finger, and you give me my phone call? Which is not a thing. You don't have a right to a phone call. Really? Yeah, it's a movie TV thing. I mean, like, you have a right to an attorney, so you might have to call someone to get it, but you are not guaranteed a phone call. That is not a thing. I feel like that should be a thing, though. Like, you (laughs) should be allowed to call someone if you get arrested. At least let them know. Yeah, but they don't have to. Anyway, yeah. Agent Smith quips, well, what good is a phone call if you're unable to speak? Because there was that story, I have no mouth and I must scream, and now Keanu, his mouth is gone and he's trying to scream. See? Get it? Yeah, like, a skin flap just grows over his mouth. The two other agents pin him down while he's screaming through this mouth skin. This was still pretty cool. I don't know on the version you watch, but it definitely holds up on DVD. The CGI mouth effects do not look good on HD. Uh, They look terrible. The techno shrimp that goes into his belly button. Yeah. it's all right. I'll give it a pass. It's not great. Could be better, but it's. I think it's on such a small scale that it works. It's fine. Well, there's there's inner cuts of an actual animatronic in there as well. Okay, that's that's probably what helps make it yeah. look real. Agent Smith pulls out a coiled wire, pushes a button, it turns into a techno shrimp, and this techno shrimp goes into <laughs> Keanu's belly button, and he wakes up in his bed, and he wakes and, up again. Yep. Yeah, he's like, oh shit, was that all just a dream? Are techno shrimp real? And I just want to note something that I really liked. Never once in all the many times that he wakes up during this movie, he never does the sit bolt upright cliche. They managed to avoid that one. Well done, Matrix. His phone rings, and on the phone, Morpheus tells him that his phone has been tapped, and also that he's the one that he's been looking for his entire life. And if his phone is tapped, then calling him to meet up with Trinity leads the agents to Trinity and her cohorts, and the movie ends, right? Like, that's how that would logically work? One would think, yeah. I mean, that's why they put the tracer in him to begin with, so... 
he's tapped so they would just know immediately to follow him. But anyways, the, the movie doesn't want to get bogged down in those details, so neither should we. And again, he's presented with another binary choice. Would you still like to meet up? Yes or no? Neo says yes. So again, a lot of choice being get put in front of him. So Neo stands under the, a bridge. Trinity pulls up in a car with two characters called Switch and Apoc. She Trinity opens the back door, tells him to get in, and immediately Switch, whose hair is peroxided to death, essentially, pulls a gun on him immediately. And Trinity's like, look, it's for our protection, okay? And what the fuck do they think he's going to do? It comes across later. It's the notion that he's still plugged in so he could become an agent at any moment. Okay, I just wasn't thinking about that. And a switch tells him to take off his shirt. And when Keanu shows the slightest bit of confusion, she's like, stop the car. Like, what? Like, let him think about stuff for a second. Like, you you pulled a gun on a... And again, they don't have time to explain. They don't have time to explain. They never have time to explain because if they explain stuff, because like it's not that complicated if you don't roll it out as they did. Like, basically calls him a copper top, and mm-hmm. that's his word. That's that's racist. She's not calling him a ginger. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, <laughs> copper top, Duracell batteries, pin in that. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, you know, Neo, you could either like do what we tell you or you could leave. He's like, sweet, later. And he's, like, <laughs> yeah, oh, he's <laughs> about to peace out. And Carry On Moss is like, oh, no, don't. Because you know that road and you know where it ends. And just the, what, blowjobs for crack? Like, he's been there before? Really? <laughs> Look, sometimes you got to get crack and give blowjobs for it. It's just, especially in that part of town. And so, yeah, I'm looking down the state of this road and like, that's where I'm thinking that road leads. And so, yeah, Neo decides to not leave and they continue driving. And it turns out he didn't even need to take his shirt off. He just needed to like lift it up so they can put this insane anti-bug machine on his belly button. Which is powered via the car's cigarette lighter port. I know! <laughs> and so she starts moving it around the little LED screen, like finds the bug and switches so unhelpful. She's like, you're going to lose it. Don't say that. And then right before Trinity zaps it, she yells, clear. There's no one touching him. There's no one touching him. Including Trinity. Yeah. Everyone else is on the other side of the seats. She's not touching him. You just have to say clear in movies and TV before administering electricity. It's just a thing you do. Doesn't make sense. Like For anyone, we're talking about like a defibrillator and you don't want to be touching the person who's getting defibrillated because if those electric, if you're touching them while the electric current goes through them, your ass is getting shocked, possibly to death. That's why they yell clear so everyone clears away. And so that it sucks out a bloody bug thing and she throws the mechanical portion of it, the one we saw Agent Smith holding on to earlier. And Keanu is somehow bereft of gaping wound. Yeah! I mean, it's bloody. There are some juices that come with this thing. Again, we're thinking about certain details way more hard than the Wachowskis That's what I'm did. here for. And honestly, I, you gotta pick your moments. There's not many. But then we watch this little machine thing with the red LED like going out on the road because why not? Let's let's indulge that cliche of the machine dying. Yeah, outside of its host. Yeah, but it doesn't do it. Without the human to give it energy. Oh, there it is. Uh, Anyways, waste (sighs) of 10 seconds. So they arrive at a spooky building, and uh, Neo walks into a room, and there's Morpheus just staring out a window so he can do a dramatic turn at the right time with some lightning behind him. As one does. And because we're not done torturing the Alice in Wonderland metaphor, Morpheus tells Neo that he must feel like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. What? No, he's in Wonderland already. (laughs) 
He's in the goofy ass world of crazy shit. The real world would be him. He would be exiting the rabbit hole. Like he's already down the rabbit hole. They're doing the metaphor wrong. He knows Neo has realized that there's something wrong with the world. It's like a splinter in your mind driving you mad. And again, he gives Neo the choice as to whether or not he wants to learn what the Matrix is. Can we just refer to Morpheus as Cowboy Curtis for the rest of this from um, his role in Pee Wee's Playhouse? Sure. Awesome. Do you want to call him Cowboy Curtis? I mean, he's wearing the duster jacket, so fucking hell. Or if he starts to explain the Matrix, and instead of explaining, like, very simply what it is, you know, he could give the whole spiel right now. Nope, nope, you gotta see it for yourself. But he says, you know, it's all around them, and it's there when you do everything, including when you pay your taxes. And he says, the truth is, Neo, you were born a slave to a prison for your mind, essentially. Yeah, like, as you said, he says, unfortunately, nobody can be told what the Matrix is. You just tried to do it, by the way, so that's, you're already lying. You have to see it for yourself. Okay, look, bullshit, all right? You can absolutely fucking explain what it is. And considering that, like, we learned later that leaving the Matrix is permanent, informed consent is really really fucking important here <laughs> like really fucking important nope I, I i got two pills pick it yeah so we get the infamous red pill blue pill choice again he gets a binary choice he says if you take the red pill if you take the blue pill you wake up you believe whatever you want if you take the red pill you stay in wonderland and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes the rabbit hole is a portal to wonderland that's nick's whole beef right now and it's not the only metaphor that they're going to fuck up. Like, in two minutes, they're going to fuck up another one. I'm going to get angry about that one as well. So, yeah. So, he, they're fucking up the Alice in Wonderland <laughs> metaphor. So, naturally, Neo takes a red pill. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a movie. And, by the way, does it ask what the pill is? Does it be like, hey, so what is this Yeah, no, this do? only gets exposited after he takes it. That it sends some sort of signal so that they can locate his people pod. You know, yeah. and actually pick him up once the system rejects him. Yeah, he just takes a random pill that a stranger gave him. Kids, don't take random pills that strangers give you unless they're a certified physician. I can taste colors. <laughs> or taste sounds. That's what I said at the beginning. Anyway, fuck it. So they go to the, 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 the room next door and we get we get the whole dominatrix gang. They got a whole computer set up. By the way, they could choose whatever equipment that they want to bring into this world, we learn later. And they choose the shittiest, like narrow, tiny monitors for this machine. It's treat yourself better, guys. Uh, they strap Neo to a chair, put some EKG pads on him. And Cypher is there and he says, buckle your seatbelt, Dorothy, because Kansas is going bye bye. No, he's going to Kansas. He is currently in Oz. He's currently where the wacky shit is. Reality is Kansas. You, How do you fuck up two literary metaphors in the span of two minutes, movie? Jesus. Quite easily, apparently. That's how. And because, again, we have not beaten the Alice in Wonderland metaphor to death quite enough yet. Neo literally goes through the looking glass. Yeah, he notices that this cracked mm, mirror next to him becomes the looking glass. You are technically correct, but they are definitely going for it through the looking glass. Yeah, I mean, it's the famous moment. This cracked mirror heals itself somehow. And then it's the he dips his finger in and then it grows on him and starts covering him. He becomes him the up. Silver Surfer. Yeah. By the way, voiced by Lawrence Fishburne in Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. Ah. Uh, yeah. It's all connected. Was Lawrence Fishburne on Baywatch? No. Aw. Okay, so here's the thing he starts to be engulfed by this liquid metal from the mirror. 
And this is how he's going to get out. Like, this is integral to this getting him out of the Matrix thing. He did this with no guidance. Nobody's like, hey, man, just so we can get this process started, would you touch that mirror? He just lucks into this. I don't think he has to. I think it's something that just happened. But it goes down his throat, and then we go through the throat. That was just to have a neat scene transition. Okay. There's nothing that seems inherently necessary about the mirror thing, other than he starts freaking out about and probably about to have a heart attack or a brain aneurysm or something like that. So This liquid silver surface CGI has not not aged well <laughs> again still looks good on dvd quality okay on hd this was this was not no and so they, they they get a lock on him in the real world and we hear uh, an 80s video game death jingle filtered yes. through a 90s modem yes, as we go down neo's absolutely throat. a game over man moment it's a game sound over effect wise sound, sound effect, effect yeah filtered through a 90s modem and it was Weird. Neo wakes up in a womb metaphor because we've officially tortured the Alice in Wonderland metaphor to death. So he wakes up, he sees like these towers and all these pods of these naked people like strapped to hoses around him. Really disturbing. And this machine flies up and investigates him and then unplugs him. Why do they unplug him? Because then he's a wasted crop we know that you can plug people back into the Matrix. They, they're they going to plug Cypher in later, allegedly. So just plug them back in. Like, don't waste this part of your battery. The pill must have disrupted something. That's all I got. My other nitpick is even though this was shot many months later, this is like the last thing they ever filmed because it gave Keanu time to lose weight that he had gotten from training. He lost like 15, almost 20 pounds, something like that. He's still too muscular. They mentioned later, oh, we're rebuilding your muscles. They've atrophied. No, they haven't atrophied. They never fucking grew. He's been in a coma literally his entire life. They never grew. Agreed. By the way, why does this robot have a syringe appendage? It just has like this menacing syringe. There's a lot of unnecessary parts to the robots in this. Like when you get to the Sentinels later, like much later, and they're doing the laser thing, they've got all these little tiny little insect arms that are just wiggling. There's a great lack of functionality to their design, which is really weird for self-made machines. So anyways, uh, Keanu gets all his hoses plucked out and he gets flushed down the drain. Which looks like it just fucking hurts those things getting ripped out and popping off, man. I mean, it really... Mm. Well done. Yeah, these things that are like putting life-saving fluid into your body and also drawing out your bioelectricity. Yeah, that seems like it'd be supremely painful. And then he gets plops down into a sewer, struggles to stay afloat, and a crane comes out of a light and grabs him and pulls him up. It's the claw. <laughs> it's the claw. <laughs> And he gets inside this this ship, and uh, Morpheus says, Welcome to the real world. He said to me, condescendingly, take a <laughs> seat, take your life. This is the John Breaks Into Song episode. <laughs> John gets us sued for copyright infringement. <laughs> yeah, so Morpheus, you know, because Keanu's on a, I guess, a hospital bed and got a towel around his waist. And Morpheus is sure that they found the one. And it's really weird that they're talking over naked Keanu, by the way. I feel like they could have had this conversation in a much more appropriate location. That's just me. And then, as you mentioned, they, they, they're they rebuilding Neo's body. They turn him into a pin cushion with acupuncture to rebuild his muscles, by the Electric way. Electric acupuncture. Yeah, folks, um, gonna ahead and spoil this for you. Acupuncture's bullshit doesn't work. I mean, it works in terms of like the placebo effect, but it, it there's no proven scientific efficacy behind it. I mean, it looks like he's getting acupuncture done, but really it's we're gonna stick metal in you and electrify it so that your muscles react. 
okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Asterisk. <laughs> and this is where, yeah. Citations needed, motherfucker. Citations severely fucking needed for this. And he was like, why did my eyes hurt? Because, you know, you've never used them before. And, you know. Damn, Cowboy Curtis is deep. Now your eyes are open truly for the first time. And they removed some, but not all of the plugs in his body. It looked like that's what they were doing. Yeah, they they take some out. I mean, you got to keep the one in the back of your head, and you got to keep at least one in your forearm for, you know, medical purposes. It just makes IVs that much more convenient. It's true. Just a permanent IV plug. Yeah, in case you need to have, you know, like this six-inch long... ice pig shoved in your arm 40 gauge fucking ivy (laughs) and yeah this is also where you know he gives that line about the his muscles have atrophied and no they didn't exist in the first place that's not that's not how words work and so neo wakes up eventually and you know we know enough some time has passed because he's grown some hair morpheus comes him and tells him that it's closer to 2199 even though he thinks it's you know 1999 but they honestly don't know what time it is and i'm like how the fuck do you not know more precisely what day it is like people like human have continued to exist post the war with the machines somebody was keeping track of time like i don't believe that they don't know what year it is Eh, vaguely but he goes on to explain that he can't explain shit and you just have to see it for yourself again and so (sighs) let's go so i can show you in which he exposits everything just with visual aids right It's like, it's show and tell. Yes, yes it is. Technically, the the preferred way of doing screenwriting is show, don't tell, because just telling is not the more compelling one of the two. But it's this weird mashup of the two, yeah. No, it's just because I spent so much time with the editing, it's still stuck in my brain, but it was like, okay, Morpheus has show and tell, and then Cypher gets up and talks about JFK for a while. (laughs) (laughs) So he tells them that they're on a ship, it's the Nebuchadnezzar, because again, we need to get some fucking biblical symbology in this motherfucker, because we gotta cross Nebuchadnezzar had these weird prophetic dreams that needed interpreting, and Morpheus was a god of dreams in a dish. Different mythos. Uh, ah, uh, all connected. Read a book. They read a book, and the Wachowskis need you to know that they've read a book at some point. And they hope you did too, because I, I do like that it's all there, but it's not really like shoved down your throat. We're doing it now. Right. They're just like, oh, this is called Nebuchadnezzar. They don't explain why. It's not important. But it's still there. Like when you're aware that these it's things are there exist. for those who know. Yeah. And if you know it is very oppressive, there's just so much of it. But, anyways, on the main deck, tells them it's Nebuchadnezzar, it's a ship, and from this deck is where they broadcast their pirate signal to hack into the Matrix. And then he introduces the crew, who all have like really, like I guess, cool for the late 1990s mononyms. You know, they got Cypher, they got Apoch, Switch, Trinity, Morpheus, and then there's Mouse. Why the fuck does he have to be Mouse? This poor guy. I don't know, but I like the way he plays it. He's, he's kind of like skittish. He's always just sort of like right on edge, ready to go. He's very excited. He's excited. I like yeah. it. Yeah. He's like the young one, the kind of nerdy one. He's the DJ Qualls of this crew. Okay, so so, Star Wars reference. Mouse was in uh, episode two, Attack of the Clones, as the guy who tried to sell Obi-Wan death sticks. Huh. Elon Sleazebago. God, what a terrible fucking name. I learned wow. that name for this podcast. And now you can go ahead and forget it. You also meet the natural born real worlders, Tank and Dozer. 
Tank is played by Marcus Chong, son of Tommy Chong. Ah. Yeah. Did not realize that he was of that Chong. That's that's really the only thing of note. Well, actually, a funny thing about him, he fucked himself out of being in the sequel. He asked for way too like much literally? money. Like, literally? I mean, not, not like literally having sex out of it. Aww. He didn't sex his way out of it. But he, after the success of The Matrix, asked for way too much money to come back for the sequel, so they just killed his character off off screen. Oh, so that's why it's implied that he died. Yeah, because, I mean, Dozer dies in this one. but Yeah, Dozer dies in this one, but that's for plot reasons. They killed him off because... And then it's like their brother-in-law or something like that. Something like that. But yeah, they they killed him off because the actor asked for too much money. He had a slightly inflated perception of how important his character was. But anyways, they they strap into the chairs and they load him up. They jam this needle into the hole in the back of his head. And now they are in the construct, which is their white space loading program. And now we see the chairs again from the red pill, blue pill scene. And by the way, I, I think I've sat in these chairs before because they are in the WB prop house in Burbank. Oh, okay. Because I was like yeah i've sat in some chairs that like it just not nearly as dirty but you're talking the chairs the chairs are in the warner brothers prop house and if you take i mean they're not sponsoring us and they should i just happen to be a tour guy back in the day that is where <laughs> oh my god is this real and then morphe's like well what is real you know you've got your hair back you got none of the plugs in here this is just you're now seeing residual self-image which is like a projection of your own digital self in this world and getting very philosophical about what is real this is a good time to bring it up the residual self-image thing because because they look so strikingly similar to their real world selves. Switch was originally supposed to be played by two different actors. Yes, Switch was supposed to be called Switch because in one world it would be male and in another, the other world would be female. I forget. The lady who's playing Switch right now was only supposed to be the in Matrix version. And then they would have a sort of androgynous looking guy to play real world Switch. And that's a concept that the studio acts. It was just like, no, that's too complicated. Too complicated and also reeks of trans. It's the night night. But we didn't really have that word then, so yeah, it's just, it's just weird. This explains the Matrix. It's this digital simulation designed to look like the world at the end of the 20th century. Then all of a sudden, they're like in a simulation of the current world. And he says, welcome to the desert of the real. <laughs> Which is a bit of a paraphrase from one of those books that they were forced to read. And I feel yeah. like the, the splinter of your mind driving you mad. It sounds like that got pulled from somewhere, too, but I couldn't find anything. Like it's awkward in the movie, but they're clearly doing it as a reference to one of the books and they want to feel clever. I get it. So he explains that because of the rise of AI in the 21st century, there was a single AI that spawned an entire race of machines. But all I could think of was that Haley Joel Osment, Steven Spielberg movie. And it oh, was be- AI? Yeah, and it was because of that the downfall of society occurred. <laughs> <laughs> Haley Joel Osment started The Matrix. It confirmed. was from 2001. It was it was the dawn of the 21st century. So And so there was a war between the machines and the humans, and then the humans, because the machines were primarily powered by solar power decided to block out the sun to stop the machines from being able to recharge and no the fuck they didn't that's so stupid there is no way blocking out the sun could ever have any negative consequences for life on earth as we know it yeah exactly nobody would have been like hey so uh, all plants die and then we die because we freeze to death and we have no food oh um, also that's... the earth isn't getting warm well yeah you mentioned freeze to death so yeah so that's really stupid but no they they go through this plan so like they did not think this origin story through because that's really fucking stupid there, there's a way to make this work that isn't completely stupid yeah but i mean it, you can find all kinds of shit over and over how humans aren't a really good effective power source the fact that the earth 
core is still going, the machine should have just tunneled down and used geothermal energy instead of solar. Like, you, you can find all kinds of shit that doesn't make sense, doesn't work, but it's, you know, for story. And again, the machines are the good guys and actually just liked us and wanted us to be content and happy. I mean, for their own ends, but yeah, basically you said, robots enslaved humanity turned us into batteries and now we're grown in fields like crops. So yeah, they, they harvest our bioelectricity and the beat our, the heat that our body produces and the matrix is control. And when he says that they turn, you know, to turn humans into this and he pulls out a Duracell, they could, they did not get Duracell's permission to use their logo, but it's very clearly a Duracell battery. That's why Switch referred to Neo as a copper top. All makes sense. So Neo freaks out, demands to be let out, throws up in the real world and he just passes the fuck out. So he wakes up later in his room where Morpheus is just chilling, by the way. He's just like chilling in the background in his room. I watch you sleep. And Morpheus tells Neo that he can't go back and he's really sorry. Normally they don't free minds past a certain age because the mind has trouble letting go. So, hey, this goes back to the consent thing. Maybe you could explain the fucking Matrix while he's still in the Matrix so he can give you informed consent as to whether or not he actually wants to take the goddamn red pill, you asshole. And Yoda chimes in how he's too young to be, or too old to begin the training, you know. <laughs> yes, really young. He also explains kind of the origin of the Resistance, says that there was one guy in the Matrix who could like do weird shit with his mind and so... So he was the one that freed the first of them. And after he died, someone called the Oracle prophesied that he would return and bring down the Matrix. So essentially, Morpheus believes that Neo is the reincarnation of this guy. Yep. Throw in some Eastern philosophy as well, because, you know, we haven't, we're going to torture Western philosophy. We're going to torture Eastern philosophy. We're just going to fucking make this syrupy thick with different layers that may or may not coherently go together. Anyways, so it tells Neo to rest because they're going to start training him. This is where the cutscene was. But with Yoda and Cowboy Curtis debating on whether or not he was too old for the train. Yeah, there it is. Uh, let's go make that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'd actually really love to see that, especially now that we know that Yoda can like jump and flip around and shit. Oh, yeah. I want to see him and Lawrence Fishburne in the dojo. I want to see Yoda in like a black <laughs> trench coat and Matrix sunglasses. <laughs> no spoon there is. Spoiler for later. <laughs> a less elegant weapon this is and just pulls out some fucking pistols and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so Tank, uh, Tommy Chong's kid comes into the room, introduces himself in case you'd forgotten all the other times he's been introduced. We learn that he is human classic. He is, was never plugged into the Matrix. He was born in the real world, you know, in the last human city called Zion near the Earth's core. How the fuck can you build a city near the Earth's core? Go fuck myself, I know. But it's training time. And so he downloads a bunch of like fighting styles that go into Neo's brain, including a T-Pose fighting style. <laughs> I feel like there's like a little that model. Was that was while it was loading the program. No! It literally said underneath the, the look, there's like a little shitty night, late 90s 3D model. Right, and it, and it goes into different poses as it's like Kenpo, Drunken Master, Taekwondo. Yeah, for jujitsu it is a t-pose i took it as it was still loading i took it as that's apparently what jujitsu is in their mind i stand with my arms stretched out to the sides and slowly spin it's a very effective combat technique it bewilders the shit out of your opponent but also T-Pose has to do with, uh, for anybody who might not know, it's got to do with performance capture that they do for video games. The <laughs> model with all the sensors on them will start in a T-Pose, then they'll do the performance, and then they'll end in a T-Pose. I think it's just to, to bookend 
and the performance and but yeah it's a fucking t-pose so basically yeah he just like loads all these things into his brain directly and he's you know going for 10 hours straight and tells uh, tank tells morpheus that he has been going for 10 hours straight he's a machine and morpheus flips the fuck out and is like oh shit one of the machines is on my ship and just starts tearing <laughs> him apart and there we go end of movie i don't know why Lawrence fishburne was suddenly a high-pitched southern gentleman but you know i do declare neil i do declare load him them machines <laughs> Here's the thing. So after 10 hours, presumably within 10 hours, he would have learned all the fighting styles within the first hour. But apparently, no, it takes a bit longer. And all of a sudden, like Neo's eyes open and he says, I would say it's that uh, Tank's getting sleepy. And, you know, he's yeah, he's blinking and rubbing his eyes. So loading up. the Yeah, loading up the program. It's his fault. Okay, fair enough. Keanu could have knocked this out in seven, but now it's 10 hours. We're still here, Tank. Jesus. Morpheus opens his eyes up and says, as if he's like mystified by this, as if he he hadn't had multiple fighting styles like um, loaded into his brain he's like i know kung fu to which morpheus replies show me and keanu pulls the needle out of his head and jumps up and kicks Fisher's ass. <laughs> it beats him to just death does a little demonstration right there on the <laughs> yeah i want to know if these skills transfer to the real world or if you can only use them in the matrix um i would imagine they, they must translate but not one-to-one not, because not we're perfectly because you wouldn't quite have the muscle memory but you would have the knowledge of how to do everything still at least but anyways morpheus and neo are now in an asian dojo in geese morpheus explains that things like gravity and physics in the matrix can be bent and broken there are rules but they can be you know aren't set in stone but he basically describes it just as detailed as nick did and was like you got it all right let's go yep and now we're getting one of the again another iconic fight scene from this movie I, we're mm-hmm. not going to break this down blow by blow because like that would take forever it is still a fantastic fight scene this is one of the ones that gets parodied later there's a moment where Neo runs up the wall and does a backflip over Morpheus that got parodied a lot and at some point so this is where I'm going to point out a thing of Keanu Reeves performance because while he's doing his you know arms getting ready into whatever pose he definitely makes Jim Carrey face he does like Jim Carrey <laughs> It's really weird. He looks like Jim Carrey. I love how the first time he goes into a pose, his arms kind of flail around as if like he has the knowledge, but it's just it's just sort of happening. He's not even consciously doing it. Another iconic thing from this movie that got parodied a million times. Morpheus, you know, getting into his pose, having his one arm outstretched, palm upwards, and then pulling his fingers back, beckoning Neo to attack him. Mm-hmm. And so halfway through the fight, Neo's kind of worn out. And he's like, why did I beat you? And he says, you know, you're stronger, faster, whatever. And he's like, do you think things like muscle mean anything in this world? Do you think that's air you're breathing now? Like kind of be like, hey, man. What a catty you know, bitch. You think you're even breathing air? Come on. <laughs> Yeah. kind of like driving home the point that like hey you know none of this shit's real right, right. yeah so like these limitations that in without really telling him he's just giving him enough to so that he hopes keanu can just figure this shit out for himself so they start fighting again and neo like gets so fast that it looks like you know he's got multiple arms moving and he's kind of starting to break the bounds of his things and everyone's like at this point like been watching on the computer monitor like watching this fight mm-hmm. super impressed by him and i was like oh my god look at his neuro 
kinetics, blah, blah, blah. Now it's time for the jump program. So now they're like on top of a skyscraper. And, you know, again, you know, I love the way this builds because the rest of the crew that's watching it is doing the, oh, no one's ever done it the first time. And it's like, oh, but he could be the one. So what if he does? Like, wouldn't that be amazing? And, you know, and so you have like, you know, the people who are dissenting and then, you know, Carrie Ann Moss is just whispering how she believes in him and, and any other movie he would have just been the big damn hero here yes but we see morpheus jumping from what one top of one skyscraper to another and he was like okay free your mind free your mind gonna do this gonna do this he runs he jumps and he falls flat on his face into the road it's like a looney tune like the, like, the, yeah. it's like he dives in it's like the road the road stretches kind of trampoline style flings him up just enough that he lands without getting little too hurt. He busts his lip. And again, these road CGI effects have not aged well. Does this mean that he's not the one? But hmm. everyone falls the first time. It doesn't mean doesn't anything. Matter, doesn't mean anything. We, were, we all went there. We've all done it. It's like the training video at the restaurant. And so back in the real world, Neo realized that he's bleeding in the real world. And he's like, ask Morpheus, like, hey, what's, what's going on here? I thought that none of that was real. And so Morpheus says, well, your mind makes it real so this means that if you die in the matrix you die for real because the body can't live without the mind okay so we've established some you know some groundwork for some stakes very nice good job movie it's very refreshing after the last few that we've sat through yes to have a movie that establishes shit early on and how bad it can go for you <laughs> and does it in a way that's kind of natural to the plot progression versus just jamming it in when it feels necessary so anyway later on trinity brings food to neo's room while he sleeps and outside Cypher's just kind of hanging out creepily and he says like well you never brought me food does that mean that Trinity was released before him because Cypher is definitely older yeah because Joe Pantoliano yeah he was in his 40s when he played this role oh easily like at what age is too old to be released because Trinity's fairly young so when were they all released from the Matrix huh interesting I was more of noticing that he's the only one who occasionally wears a splash of color everyone else is in very drab grays basically every once in a while he has reddish rags on yeah was that more or less like a red flag literally <laughs> entirely possible i think we could definitely just speculate. a bit of signaling that he's not quite one of them he's satan he's the bad one he's the i don't know yeah, i wasn't gonna go that far but sure and then he wonders why morpheus hasn't taken neo to see the to see the oracle yet just to make sure he's the one and morpheus will take him when he's ready replies trinity and what the fuck is this scene i mean we don't really have a good idea for the passage of time which leads you to believe that he's been out of the major oh well no his hair grew so it had been a couple weeks yeah or like a month or whatever but yeah but like yeah but a lot of that he was probably like still going in and out of consciousness as they were building up his body so i mean like as far as being like active and aware of everything it's you know it feels like it's been two and a half days true but this scene doesn't move the plot forward and it doesn't reveal anything really about the characters of substance other than that trinity plays favorites Meh. and so now we're in presumably the matrix Morpheus except it's not green tinted i did not notice that huh should have given it away but morpheus and Neo are walking through the crowd in again what we are led to believe is the matrix when yes. you watch for the first time definitely think it's the matrix and morpheus explains that basically anyone who hasn't been unplugged is still a part of the system and as such poses a risk to them basically if you're not one of us you're one of them and neo gets distracted by a 
woman in a red dress. This is some fucking dangerous... I mean, no, this is... If you're not with us, you're against us. If you're not one of us, you're one of them. It's basically the excuse that's been made for any kind of, like, genocidal asshole, really. They really have to make a point of why that threat is so specific in this so that they can justify all the murder that happens later. Yes, because Neo gets distracted by this woman in a red dress, and when he kind of looks back at her, she's turned into Agent Smith, but psych, that's not actually... Agent Smith, they're not in the Matrix because everything pauses and Morpheus uses this as a teaching moment like, hey, this is an agent. These are Sentinel programs. And basically they can, anyone who's still plugged in the Matrix, they can turn into that. Like, yeah, anyone who's not unplugged is potentially an agent. Agents are super powerful. They can dodge bullets. They can punch through walls. Anyone who's fought an agent has died except you, Neo, you special so-and-so. You're going to be able to fight the agents because I believe you're the one. And since this is a program that Mouse whipped up... They actually made a good use of, like, twins and triplets for the extras. Yeah, there were, like, most definitely um, people who were, were multiplied. And so basically, I was like, oh, cool. So you're saying when the time comes, I can, I, I can dodge bullets? And no, more f- when the time comes, you won't have to. I'm still not going to tell you what that means. Yeah, because that would be me training you properly. And I like I want you to be good, but I don't want you to be so good that you take my job. You know, <laughs> we, we, we need to have a plot later in the movie. So if I explain everything now, yeah, it's a whole thing. But anyways, Tank calls Morpheus because they've got trouble. So back in the real world, they're being hunted by these sentinel robots called Squiddies. Yeah, they look exactly like you would imagine, like lots of little tentacle things are flying around. And so Morpheus tells Dozer, who's flying the hovercraft, to fly down there. And he points to a place where he could not possibly see. Right? Like he's pointing to the bottom right, like at the pipe where they're in. But then they fly out of the pipe and they go into another pipe to hide. Yeah, but they're very good at uh, backing into their parking space. That was well done. Yeah, very good. Uh, They didn't do the, the backup beeping noise, which is a little dangerous, but you know what? Well, they're trying to hide, so... Yeah, again, these sewer CGI effects have not aged well. Eh, the sewer was okay on DVD, but the lightning, the lightning was still pretty bad. But yeah, they park the ship, they power it down, but they have an EMP, and I swear, this... I think this was the last movie where they felt they had to explain what an EMP is and what it does. Electromagnetic pulse doesn't magically fry you when you're flying your, you know, MiG-29, as Goldeneye would have you believe. Yeah, it shuts down electronics. It does not cause them to fucking explode, no matter what they are, including television monitors. God, Goldeneye was so good. <laughs> okay, so so they're there. They tell, tell everyone to be quiet, because, you know, the squids are around, and there's a moment of tension. One of these squids absolutely fucking sees them and they all die like yeah it's like how did the t-rex not uh smell them in jurassic park just because they were standing still it's they're they're literally right in front of its nose yeah it can sense an object there it's a machine it's got like infrared like like one of its the end of one of its tentacles turns into a a little radar dish yeah they got caught that's bullshit (laughs) they had to use the emp but no, they actually didn't, and the no, story they got continues. Away. Later that night, Neo scares the bejesus out of Cypher, to use his words. Cypher's just kind of looking at the the Matrix code that's running down the Were you monitors. able to see what's on the other screens that he turns off? Because, I mean, that is an absolute shady move. Um, I did not notice that, actually. Um, but that Yeah, does he's seem got like a, a very shitload of other stuff on, and I could never make out what it was. Because Neo would be able to see that, but, you know, he can't interpret what the Matrix code is showing yet at least so cypher lo- 
keeps those running and lies about what he's looking at and suggests that it's porn. Yeah, looking at this blonde, brunette, redhead. Yeah, because essentially, you know, the the Matrix, you can't visualize the Matrix. You can visualize the visualizer, and his intonation is so weird when he explains it. It works for the construct program. He, like, really emphasizes the word for. It's like, that's a very weird acting choice. Yeah. Watch that scene again. His intonation is really yeah, weird. No, no, no. I made that face, too, because I've always tried to make sense of it. Because when uh, Morpheus and Neo were fighting, they weren't watching the code. They were watching a video feed, like, from the Construct program. Yeah, because it's not the actual Matrix. There's not that much to use code, so they can't visualize it, but you can't decode the Matrix, as he explains. Yeah, so, like, if he said with instead of for, it would make more sense. He gives Neo a drink. It's apparently some crap that Dozer makes that's just really strong. And he's like, man, you know, don't you sometimes wonder why, oh, why didn't I take the blue pill? Kind of implying that he regrets his choice, which is not good if you're trying to, like, do shady shit and be undercover. Like, that kind of draws attention to yourself. But I get for the movie, we need to get some insight into his psychology to for his later choices to make sense. Yeah. And then he basically asked Neo, you know, like, oh, yeah, so did Morpheus actually clue you in on why he did it? And he thinks you're basically God Jesus who's here to save us all? Yeah, and he's like, man, that's a my job. Uh, by the way, if even though you are the one, like, if you see an agent, like, you do what we do, and you run. You know that thing that we learned from Morpheus, like, in the literal previous scene? Yeah, make sure you do that. So while everyone's asleep, Cypher goes into the Matrix by himself. How he gets in and out of the Matrix by himself, considering that it's shown that people generally need help. Go fuck yourself. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of feel like maybe he could have set up some sort of program that gets him in and out. Maybe the restaurant that they're at had a phone that's just ringing, you know, back in the kitchen somewhere. And he just had to <laughs> slide back. Because, I mean, you could reach the back of your head to pull the plug in and out. Right, but that you part need someone to call you on a hard line to get you out. So, yeah, you're right. Right. Who knows? I I, I kind of feel like he was setting up the meeting slash getting that shit ready. And that's what Neo walked in. Uh, so he's there with Agent Smith in this fancy restaurant. He is eating a hunk of cow, not just a steak. This is a massive slab of steak. And it's actually rare, which is so fucking mm. hard to get in America. Like you ask for things medium rare at a lot of places. Unless you go to like a really upscale place, they're not going to bring it to you medium rare. But he's here to make a deal with Agent Smith. He's basically going to give up more. Morpheus, who's got the codes to Zion's mainframe. And in return, he gets to plug himself back into the Matrix, you know, forget everything that happened and be rich and famous. Yeah, and Smith says that, sure, we'll give you whatever you want because this is so important to us. But if part of the deal is you don't remember anything that happened outside and what you did and how you're complicit, they have no reason to keep their word. I mean, it's a moot point anyway, as we'll see later <laughs> well, on. I mean, but yeah, yeah he, he eventually dies. Spoiler alert for this 20-year-old yeah, movie. Yeah, you, you should know. Know what happens in this movie this this is you <laughs> revisiting it this is not for someone who has not seen it but also by the way the fact that we learned that the captains of the different ships have zion's mainframe codes and considering that they are going in and out of the matrix and could potentially get captured whatever it seems like a giant security risk like this wasn't well thought through and it downplays morpheus's importance because the captains do go in and out of the matrix all the time it's not just him but i guess it's because he's got the one potentially and this neo guy he may, brings more attention. Who knows? Yeah, basically, Cypher says he's sick of, he prefers ignorance is bliss. Like, the real world sucks. Like, that's his motivation behind it. So back in the real world, it is chow time, and we're going to contrast that delicious, juicy steak with uh, some really gross shit that pour out of a faucet. They're eating this really gross white stuff. Rice pudding gruel on tap. 
Mm. Mm, as much as you want, when you want it. Yeah, so basically Mouse starts kind of speculating about flavor in the Matrix. You know, basically, like, how did the machines know what shit tasted like? Did they not know what to program for chicken's flavor, and that's why chicken tastes like everything? And I know that's a common phrase. It has been for a long time. But I have never tasted something else and been like, oh, that tastes like chicken. Never. I have. Really? It was crocodile. I have not had crocodile. I have had crocodile growing up in Africa. I've eaten some crocodile, and it tastes like chicken slash tuna fish. So there's one okay, thing on planet. Okay, so again, of- not chicken. <laughs> Fair enough, now that you point that out. If, yeah. It's this odd combination of other flavors, yeah. But basically, yeah, it's because the, the gruel that they're eating tastes like either runny eggs or snot, or it's not appetizing. It's a synthetic protein thing with the vitamins and minerals the body needs. It's got the electrolytes plants crave. I was going to say, it's good for your gains, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Noticeably, no carbohydrates and fats, which are our very important macronutrients, but let's not get too down the nutrition rabbit hole. Also, we learned that Mouse is the one who programmed the woman in red for that training program. So again, what is the timeline of who got released when? Because clearly this training program, like it's been a, is it was and Neil the first? clearly the youngest on the ship. Yeah. Yeah. So did he get like released really young and he's a programming prodigy or what the fuck is going on here? Well, they're all the first... program writers. So <laughs> not programmers or coders. They are program writers. Yeah. So <laughs> he apparently designed the woman in red. So is Neil the first one to use this program? Again, I'm overthinking this shit, but it's just. Well, no, because when. When he brings it up and he's like, oh, you've run through the program and woman in red. Like everyone at the table is like, ah, shit, here we go again. This conversation has been had time after time after time with every new recruit. Apparently just they unplug people and start to train them and they're just fucking red shirts that get off regularly. <laughs> or maybe they get transferred to other ships. Who knows? But yeah, he's basically like, hey, Neo, if you if you want a banger, I can I can make that happen. But remember, someone has to be sitting there to pull you in and out and load <laughs> the program and we can totally understand what's happening on the screen. <laughs> yeah, because we can watch you on the visualizer. And also, also, the implications... Because, oh, there's you know, an also here, okay. <laughs> there is an also here because, think about it, the body, we, we notice that the body reacts to what happens to the mind in the matrix. Oh my what, God. So if you're having sex... I've already gone there. Oh in my the visualizer, <laughs> do you just come in your pants in the yes. real world when it gets to that? And I choose in my pants <laughs> that's the i think that's what would happen your mind makes it real <laughs> your mind makes it real so yeah you you know, finish having sex in the matrix oh, you yeah. jizz in your pants in the real world and whoever's like put you into the you matrix has to into, watch like, that this happen kinks and all of a sudden like you're just wearing a diaper into the chamber anyways uh, with that in mind uh, morpheus it. i'm co- out <laughs> That's it. John's out. Uh, that'll just be me for the rest of the episode. Uh, so Morpheus comes into the, I guess, the cantina and says that uh, you're going to go up to broadcast death because it is time to see the Oracle. That's the thing that Cypher said earlier. Yeah, they've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's why. But they've mentioned the Oracle at other point. Who the fuck knows? Anyways. Get your movie trope bingo card ready. With the Oracle to look forward to, we're going to take a quick break there. When we come back, we will start start breaking down the second half of The Matrix. All right, man. First day at Neo going solo in The Matrix. Can't wait to see what he's going to be able to pull off for us. Oh, right. First call. Operator. Tank. 
I need $4,000 in unmarked bills. Not a problem. What's it going to be used for, man? Uh, Matrix stuff. Okay, but uh, just be careful because there's tracer programs in effect. Thanks, bud. Appreciate it. Non-sequential. Boop, boop, boop. Operator. Tank, I need to be able to know the difference between pure and cut cocaine. Why would you need to do that? You know, Matrix stuff and fighting the system and don't worry about it. Uh, I'm going to try not to, but nothing about drugs makes sense. Program downloaded. You're doing a great job, bud. Appreciate it. Boop, boop, boop. Operator. Tank, I need to know how to fly a Learjet, and I also need a flight path to Tijuana. Okay, we've got uh, some new contacts in Tijuana, minds to be freed. Oh, I'm sorry, are you questioning the one here? No, it's just easier to help you out if I'm aware of what All right, we so might quick be... as you can, Tank. Just real quick. <sighs> Fine. Boop, boop, boop. Operator. So, uh, I need to know how to bury a hooker. It's called a fucking shovel. You suck, Neo. You suck, Tank. Jerk. I'm unplugging you from the chair. You can't unplug me. I quit. <laughs> he just reaches <laughs> up and pulls, and pulls the spike pulls out of himself. <laughs> and we're back. And so Scooby and the gang enter the Matrix. And <laughs> look, this is a really well shot entering the scene. I'm not going to break it down bit by bit. But yeah, like one thing I will say about the Matrix, really well shot. They're very conscientious about their shot choices and how things progress. But they get into the Matrix. They're now in their dominatrix outfits. And Cypher drops his cell phone into a garbage can so the agents can trace the call and know their location. Neo, Morpheus, Trinity driving through the city and neo's mind is just blown by being back like he's seeing the world from the outside for the first time his mind is especially blown because he sees a restaurant that he recognizes (laughs) he's like holy shit i used to eat there they got some good noodles yeah but in the back of mind he's clearly thinking oh but i never technically ate there and all my memories are bullshit i guess but it's it's not approached with that type of wonder. Again, right? this performance seems more wooden than anything else. It's just, it's more of like, he's been away from his hometown for 20 years. And there's, you know, oh my God, this place is still standing sort of vibes. So Neo asked Trinity if she ever saw the Oracle and like, what did she tell you? And so Trinity starts to talk. She says, the Oracle told me, and then she stops talking and looks away. Like, hey, maybe you finished the thought trinity and it's like hey no because if she told neo what the oracle said we wouldn't have a dramatic third act reveal so you know gotta gotta keep that shit under wraps yep to be super socially awkward while we're at it uh so they arrive at what is essentially a housing project and it's you know it's nice that the machines programmed some racism into their computer simulation you know get some well we can't handle paradise i mean again it's mentioned later but anyway but still maybe tone down the racism things have to suck a bit So uh, in the elevator going up, Morpheus tells Neo that the Oracle has been with them since the beginning of the Resistance, and she told him that he, Morpheus, would find the one. You know, outside, Morpheus is kind of like, I can only show you the door. You have to go in it. And so Neo goes for the door to open it. By the way, didn't knock on the door. Nope. (laughs) He was just going to walk into this stranger's apartment. Check your privilege, Neo. Jesus. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Someone answers it for him, so. Yeah, he intuits that he's about to open the door. And like, I'm going to avoid an awkward situation and just get ahead of this. But it's supposed to be like she, you know, had a premonition about him being there. So she opens it up. So it comes inside. Some kids are doing some weird shit. They're making blocks flow, float in the air. And sees a bald kid monk. He's dressed in a sheet. Little British kid. 
and he's bending spoons with his mind and he says, you know, don't try to bend the spoon. That is impossible. Instead, try to realize the truth. I'm like, what is the truth? There is no spoon. Huh. He Pinning said the way. thing I recognize from 80 other things. Now we gets called in to see the Oracle, who is a magical black magic lady. Magic black lady. I warned you before the break to get that bingo card out. <laughs> yes. Oh, my <laughs> God. Just thought if she went, mm, child, it would not have been out of place in the depiction of this. Like, yeah, that's the Jeepers Creepers magical black lady. The Oracle has class. She's just baking some cookies. Baking some cookies, and she's got these mystical powers of premonition. And, and smoking. Baking cookies and smoking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, he walks in, she says, don't worry about breaking that vase. And then Neo breaks the vase, and, you know, don't worry about it, I'll have the kids fix it. By the way, here's a total mind job for you. Would you have broken it if I hadn't said anything? I mm-hmm. like that, though. I do like that touch. Yeah. It, can, it could be hokey, but the actors do a good job of selling it. And she's like, okay, you're cute. I I can see why she likes you. And uh, clearly alluding to Trinity, but Neo just does not get it. And she's like, "Mm, not too bright, though. Yeah, like, Switch? What other she do they both know? (laughs) Like, come on, man. Switch pulled a gun on you. Switch doesn't give a fuck (laughs) about you. Yeah, but Trinity won't actually have a conversation with me. She just starts to say shit and cuts off and stares into the opposite direction. But then she brings me food. It's a mixed message. You're asleep during that. You don't know who did it. Fair enough. She's like, all right, so you're wondering whether you're the one. Well, look, being the one is just like being in love. Nobody can tell you. You just know. And then proceeds to tell him that he's not the one. So completely negates what she just said. But kind of says that he is. She leads him along with the palm reading. And again, I like the way this plays out. It's really nice. Instead of actually doing the mystical palm reading, she's like, oh, this is my turn to be like, ooh. And then you say, what? You know, they have a little back and forth. It's nice. But she basically leads him and he's the one who says, I'm not the one. And then she literally says, sorry, kid, you've got the gift. Yeah, but you're waiting for something. Yeah. So then, yeah, tells him that either him or Morpheus is going to die and he's going to be presented with a choice. He's going to have to either choose to save Morpheus or and die himself or live and let Morpheus die. And that Morpheus is so convinced that Neo is the one that he is not going to hear otherwise. So she gives him a cookie and is like, look, just don't worry about this choice. You'll come to terms with that at some point. Live or let die. <laughs> Yeah, outside, back in the hallway, uh, Morpheus, you know, he wants to tell Morpheus what happened, but Morpheus just doesn't even let him get started. He's like, look, what was said in there was said for you and for you alone. It's like, hey, man, he just got told basically that he's not the one. You might want to hear about that. Like, that's that's a really important detail for you to know. He said he's not the one, and she was like, no, sorry, wrong, but in time. It's more of, yeah, I was just told that pretty soon you might fucking die. There's also that. <laughs> but Morpheus is like, nope, nope, nope. Dr. Patient confidentiality, man. It'd be a gross HIPAA violation if you were to tell me what the Oracle told you. I just want someone to ask Neo what the Oracle told him. He's like, my freedom. <laughs> HIPAA. The agents put tracking chips in vaccines. Robot shrimp was a vaccine. <laughs> Robot shrimp was a false flag operation. Oh, my God. Remember, 9-11's in there. Same scene with 9-11, man. See, this, the robot shrimp did 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
can I grow extra hands so I can facepalm even more right now? <laughs> That's the line. That's the line for this episode. Oh, so back at base camp, Mouse is perving over a paper pinup of the woman in red. Yeah, he's perving over the woman that he created. And who he has definitely had sex with. Mm-hmm. Like, he's definitely had sex with his computer program. Uh, So why he's perving over, like, a pretty PG-13, not even PG-13, because, like, she's got her top on. Yeah, but does this mean that um, back on the ship, Mouse now has wood? Yeah. You have a boner in the Matrix, you have a boner in real life. As, has been established, yeah. Has been established, that is canon. Uh, so Morpheus, Trinity, and Neo return, and they're walking up the stairs back to the room, I guess where the, the hard line out is, and Neo notices a black cat crossing their path twice. Squeal metaphor, squeal, squeal for me. Because it's a black cat crossing their path, so it's a... It's a how, how the same? Was it the same cat? Uh, I don't know, it could be, it's like, a deja vu is a glitch in the and matrix. They collectively and collectively shit their pants. With good reason this time. Yes, because a deja vu is a glitch in the matrix. It means that they've changed something. What have they changed? Well, they've basically... Who is they? The agents. <laughs> it's the elders of the internet. Yeah, so basically they they the, the windows are bricked up. Mouse can't get out. He dies in a blaze of glory. They also cut the hard line because literally, literally cut a phone line mm-hmm. with bulk cutters. <laughs> Yeah, but it's not a physical hard line. It's a digital, quote unquote, hard line. None of this makes sense. Well, We've they're over digital it. bolt cutters, too. There I go, going southern again. You lived in Missouri or wherever. Like You've earned it. Missouri, Tennessee, Mississippi. Yeah. I occasionally go back to South Carolina. My southern accent is definitely a hate crime. They start climbing down inside the walls to escape the agents and the SWAT team they've brought with them. And Cypher sneezes on purpose, so one of... It's honestly debatable, because he does get a bunch of dirt kicked down in his face. Yeah. He gives gives a couple little coughs, and then they're sitting there silent, and then he coughs again. It is really up in the air as to whether or not he's actually giving signals. Mm. Yeah. In my head canon, he did it on purpose. Audience, watch it. Come up with your own interpretation. I think either way is perfectly justifiable, yeah. So this SWAT guy's like, they're in the walls. And he starts shooting the walls, but the Directly of, at Keanu. But here's the thing. He doesn't know who he's shooting at. They're trying to take Morpheus alive. This would have been something he would have been briefed on. I'm not sure if you're familiar with this song, but... Because I'm trigger, trigger happy. Yes, I'm trigger, trigger is it, happy. Is that the Weird Al song? Yes, yes it I'm is. very familiar with the Better Weird watch. Child punk, or I'm gonna have to blow you away. It's like a Beach Boys sounding tune. <laughs> yes, I've heard that song. It is amazing. So yeah, he is trigger happy every day. Uh, this guy shoots through the wall. Keanu shoots through the wall, but then the SWAT guy gets taken over by Agent Smith, and Agent Smith grabs Neo through the wall. So Morpheus jumps through the wall to attack Agent Smith. He's like, "Get Neo out of here!" And they all slide down on the inside of the wall into the basement. And they'll like, escape from the SWAT team into a grate, I guess, into the sewers. But Cypher's like, oh, no, I tripped. Oh, my gosh. This was a totally real trip, you guys. Yes. <laughs> and he, so he doesn't go out with them. But they, they bugger off. But um, Lainey Boggs could still take lessons from him. <laughs> still more believable <laughs> than her trips. Very much so. 
So Agent Smith beats the shit out of Morpheus. And this was a really disappointing fight scene because we've seen how fast Morpheus can fight based off of how he fought Neo. In comparison, he seemed really slow and clunky. Instead of making Agent Smith seem just that much better of a fighter than he did, they just slowed Morpheus down. Yeah, that was clearly the intention was to show what they've been saying the whole time of just how dangerous these agents are. But yeah, it is very much a a much clunkier and slower fight. The Morpheus-Neo thing was filmed very late in production. Keanu had had neck surgery, like especially a lot of the kicks and stuff. He he needed extra time to train and get his mobility back. He still throws a surprising amount of kicks, though. Some of the stuff that like when I read this information was like, this is why Neo doesn't really kick in the movie. And then I watched it. And I'm like, he, he kicks a lot, actually. <laughs> but it just seemed like, yeah, the, the, this this particular fight scene was a bit clunky compared to the fights that came before and fights that will come later. So anyways, Morpheus gets captured. That's 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 the big thing. So Tank directs Cypher and the others to another exit in a TV repair shop. Cypher gets there first and he returns to the real world by himself, makes up some bullshit about how he got separated. Now we're getting the Judas moment. He shoots Tank and Dozer with a B. Is this a weapon or is this a tool that he's using as a weapon? It shoots electricity. I don't know. I think the second one. A tool that he's using as a weapon. Yeah, because, I mean, they, they blatantly state that pretty much the only defense or way they have to combat the machines is the EMP. So I take this as a tool. For some reason, they need to shoot lightning to, I don't know, weld. Who knows? But yeah, that's what he does. He shoots Tank. Dozer's like, no! And he uh, runs yes, at him. bingo card! Great big scream of, no! Yeah, and so he runs and Dozer gets shot. So instead of just killing them all... Yeah, he, he walks around, he unplugs everyone, they're dead, mission accomplished. He, he leaves Morpheus alive for them to crack his brain while he flies the thing to a pod and plugs himself in the end of the movie. Yeah, but instead he's got a fucking monologue. Yeah, he bad guy monologues like nobody has ever bad guy monologued before. Aaron it is, is a pretty grievance. good job. He does do a pretty damn good job of it. It's good, but like, yeah, again, like we know that bad guy monologuing is just a bad trope that needs to die. Yeah, because basically he airs his grievances about the real world to the Trinity, kind of also lets loose that he loved her at one point, pissed off Morpheus for lying to them about what the real world was like. And he should have checked that Tank was really dead after he shot him because Tank apparently didn't die. He's grabbed the electric thing and he... Again, something he could have done if he wasn't monologuing. Right, yeah. Just, you know, check the check the pulse on the neck. Oh, this one's not quite done. Bzzz, okay, now he's actually dead. Well, I'm just saying if he walked, th- walked around and just unplugged everyone, he would have, like, heard Tank because he still makes a pretty good amount of noise, but he was just, you know, out of frame, so... Everyone's quieter out of frame. That's gotta gotta watch people who are make sure everyone's in frame. And so yeah, the phone rings in the TV repair shop and Trinity and Neo exit the Matrix. So now we cut to the agents landing in a helicopter on the rooftop of Bad Guy Headquarters. I just call it Bad Guy Headquarters. This building is very undefined. It's some nondescript building that's fully staffed with their own riot squad, more or less. Inside, Morpheus is strapped to a chair, uh, and Agent Smith is kind of, he's he's also got like those EKG pads on his head and stuff, because they've got machines and weird torture device things nearby. And Agent Smith pontificates about the beauty of the Matrix and, you know, how earlier versions were designed to be a paradise, but humans rejected them and whole crops were lost. Crops being, of course- I love that line. Entire crops were lost, and he says it so nonchalantly. 
and essentially humans will reject a reality where there isn't suffering is the point that's being made. So, they, you know, they created it at the peak of your civilization, 1999. Before Spielberg and Haley Joe Osment teamed up, I'm telling you, that AI, man. Ruined the world. So while this is happening, one of the other agents is injecting Morpheus with a serum of sorts. Yeah, brain hacking serum? Yeah, but it's a... Who the fuck knows? I don't know. They realize that Cypher might have failed to kill the others, and they could sever the connection with Morpheus at any time, but they just got to keep working on him and deploy the Sentinels in the meantime. Like, go go find them. Uh, so in the real world, the survivors are contemplating exactly that, you know, severing Morpheus's connection and killing him because they can't risk Zion's mainframe codes getting into the machine's hands. Again, why do these captains need Zion's mainframe codes? Go fuck yourself. But Neo stops Tank right before he pulls the plug. And he says, no, it can't be a coincidence that I'm facing this choice that the Oracle told me about. You know, having to choose between his life and Morpheus's. Is it more than coincidence? Like, I feel like this, given your line of work, this could happen a lot. Like, you will have many opportunities <laughs> to choose between your life and his. I feel like this is not just a coincidence. This was actually inevitable given what you're doing now for a living. But she gave him a cookie. You get it? Get it? Oh, cause cause web browsers and Yeah, and it's a little piece of data that gets remembered, like the knowledge that he's gonna have to make a choice. Ah! Oh But anyways, uh he tells her that he's not the one. But Trinity says, No, it's not true. What do you mean? And again, if she were to explain herself, that act three plot twist will not happen. So well that climax plot it's twist. Like not anyways. really a twist, just a revelation. Just a reveal. Yeah, we're going to breadcrumb this with like giant hunks of sourdough. That is how we are going to breadcrumb. <laughs> right. Yeah, he's like, look, I'm going to go in and I'm going to save Morpheus. You can't take uh, go in there. There's three agents. But, oh, this line was so fucking dumb. This whole thing, like his, his, his rationale behind why he thinks he can do it. He's like, look, Morpheus did what he did because he believed in something. And I understand that now because I also believe in something. Like, well, what's that? that I can get him back. Yeah, it's right up there with what comes very, very soon after of no one's ever done this before. That's why it'll work. Yeah, my note here is this script went through multiple drafts and definitely got studio notes and nobody told the Wachowskis to rewrite this. Multiple drafts over many, many years, actually. Yeah, and this line still made it, in, like those two lines still made it into the movie. Ridiculous. <laughs> so anyways, Trinity's like going with Neo and Neo's like, no, you're not. And she's like, well, I also believe in something. I believe that Morpheus means more to me. I believe that if you're going to get him out, you know, you're going to need my help. And since I'm the ranking officer on this ship, I believe that if you don't like it, you can go to hell. I kind of like that one. It's a good line, but again, because she kind of takes a back seat for pretty much the rest of the film, she's kind of an accessory character. That again, this is very much the 90s flirting with- Yeah, she basically just said, I'm there to support you. But again, the 90s movie flirting with girl power, but not really going, like, leaning into it. So anyways, back in bad guy headquarters, Morpheus is- Girl power. She'll tell you what she wants when she really, really wants. I'm not singing that one. <laughs> when we do Spice World, you're going to have to. I've never seen Spice World, but I know one of my favorite actors ever is in it. I have seen part of Spice World, but with as was a very 90s problem, the second half of the movie had been taped over. So. Oh, I've heard it's actually a surprisingly very entertaining movie. It'll have to go on the list. 
So anyways, back at Bad Guy Headquarters, Morpheus is he's looking a little worse for wear, and uh, because we need some more Agent Smith pontification, he talks about how he thinks that humans aren't really mammals, they're more like viruses, he's, you know, working on the classification for them, because they don't achieve equilibrium with their environment, they move in, they multiply, they use all the resources, and then they spread to survive. So, deer are viruses? Because they kind of do the same thing, that's why we have to cull them. <laughs> Various invasive species. I like this in retrospect because that's what he becomes. That is very true. In the subsequent movie, in the second movie, he's able to replicate himself. And by the end of the third one, he has overwritten everything except the goddamn buildings and streets, basically. Uh, so yeah, humans are disease and we are the cure. But you literally mass produce humans. In what sense are you a cure for them? My freedom. <laughs> and again, like, what is the point of the seed? The seed does n- like nothing. Like we know that Smith has contempt for humanity. More philosophizing to quote Bill and Ted, philosophize okay. with him. And so now we get one of my favorite moments of the movie. This is like one of my favorite moments when I first watched the movie. It's still fun because now they're the the loading program. Tanks is like over the phone. Okay, what do you need? And he's like, we need guns. guns lots, lots of, of guns. guns. And Trinity almost gets smacked by one of the gun racks. She, that... she does nicely step forward. <laughs> so... Yeah, because if she did it, she would have been dead. <laughs> I feel like there's a better way to get them guns that doesn't involve <laughs> risk of life. But hey, it looked cool. It looked really cool. Yep. And by the way, when the guns manifest like around the the rack of guns directly behind Trinity, that particular section is just full of old 1920s, 1930s Tommy guns. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I, I don't know firearms well enough, so I didn't even bother to pay attention. I knew you would have some tidbits from this section. I was just waiting to see what it would be. I was just like, oh, so you're going to take like a really heavy submachine gun made out of wood and iron to this fight is that what anyways she does not take any tommy guns that is the choice that i made (laughs) (laughs) and this is where we get that line that you're mentioning you know nobody's ever done anything like this before that's why it's going to work and that's not how things work no i mean it did work so apparently that is how certain things yeah will. but in reality and any logical progression of anything that's yeah not it's, anything it's just a weird way of saying they'll never see this coming sure so the agents are realizing the serum's not working on Morpheus, and Agent Smith sends the other agents out of the room, and he takes his sunglasses off because now he's getting, you know, it's real talk. It's like the uh, the sitting backwards on a chair for, for him. That's how he, he, he indicates he's, you know, he's, he's going to rap now. Let me break this down for you, man. <laughs> Basically, he, he's like, look, I can't stand being in the Matrix. It's like a zoo, this prison. Once Zion gets taken down, I get to leave here. So give me the fucking codes mm-hmm. or I'm going to kill you. You've given him no incentive to tell him you anything. You've just threatened his species and threatened his life. Like, I don't think that's how you get Morpheus on your side. Yeah, but this seems less like Morpheus is resisting from telling and he's just having a bad reaction to whatever they injected him with because his eyes are rolled back in his head. He's practically spasming. Like he's just trying to not choke on his own spit at this point. And now we get the infamous lobby scene. And holy shit, does this scene still slap. It is <laughs> fucking, ah. Uh, we can't break this down. Well, for you, I, mean, I mean, part of the reason is a great deal of practical effects. They were really blowing chunks of plaster out of these fillers. And this is another one of those. How many takes did it have to do? 
and who had to reset this shit. <laughs> so many retakes because like they would oh basically have God. to run it. And like this was incredibly like meticulously choreographed because basically Neo walks in with a black bag, puts it through a metal detector, walks through the metal detector. The metal detector goes off. One of the guards like, hey, you know, got any metallic items, you know, keys, loose change. And then Neo whips open his coat and he's just got racks of guns strapped to him. And he's like, holy shit, smacks the guy shoots all the guards they call for backup before the last guy dies jules isn't here to say it so i'm gonna have to there was a firefight there is a firefight and yeah it's just it is a thing of beauty shooting out killing the guards but you know and then the uh basically riot year swat team comes pouring out because one guy manages to say they need backup yeah Neo and Trinity pulling out pairs of guns, dual wielding them, chucking them away, pulling out the next pair. Running on walls, cartwheeling off of them, just triple kicking in the air. Yeah, it's the lobby sequence. You know it. You know it. It's still a thing of beauty. And again, one of the moments that cements this film as like one of the most important movies to watch because of just how fucking incredible this scene is. Fun fact, when they get in the elevator and then there's just that static shot on the destruction and a piece of column falls away yeah that was unintentional that was a thing that just happened they're like that's a great tag and left it in it is a great tag it's just a great it's like a very humorous moment it, yeah. it alleviates the tension of this really intense scene that we've just seen and so we find you know they they before they get in the elevator they grab the bag that they put through the metal detector and in the just elevator a we goddamn res- bomb it's a giant ass bomb yeah what the fuck so they set it to detonate and then they strap a harness to the elevator cable by the way trinity doesn't get her own harness she has to hug neo to not die and before he shoots the cable off the elevator and all of our space on guns in this bomb you think we had a second harness jesus but there's a great moment here because Neo's, you know, about to shoot the cable out of the elevator and use the counterweight to propel them up to the roof. And he says to himself before doing so, there is no spoon. This elevator doesn't have brakes. I know! Because, yeah, cutting the cable and using the counterweight would still work. But this elevator still fucking falls. Yeah, it goes back down to the lobby floor, explodes, and, like, shoots fire out into the lobby. By the way, these CGI effects I'll say with a well. really bad door that kind of dances and flips around its yeah but yeah no uh modern elevators and they they definitely at this point had them they have automatic brakes to prevent free fall like the chances of you falling down an elevator shaft in an elevator a runaway elevator elevators are insanely safe there are so many like backups upon backups and yeah this explosion, though, sets off the sprinklers in the room where the agents are, and Agent Smith's like, find them and destroy them, because he's slightly miffed that he's got wet. So on the roof, Trinity and Neo are fighting more SWAT guys. Um, one of the agents takes over the helicopter pilot right as they finish them off. Neo tries to shoot the agent, but the agent dodges the bullets. The famous shot. So again, dear listener, <laughs> this has been parodied to death. To the point where it might feel like self-parody watching this scene. But you cannot overstate how fucking mind-blowing it was to watch Neo lean back, dodge bullets, and have the camera sweep around him in this bullet time sequence. It was literally revolutionary. 
I mean, I would just have to keep repeating what we've already said. I mean, yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's it, yeah. So he's fast. He's moving as fast as the agents, but not fast enough. He kind of gets clipped by two bullets. The agent stands over him, points his gun at him, and that's when Trinity comes up to the side, puts a gun to his head, and says, dodge this. Shoots badass. his head. Probably should have just shot him and said the thing afterwards, but a badass moment, for sure. No, there's no sense to shoot now, quip later. You gotta quip first. True, because then he doesn't hear you, and then what was it all for? Trinity knows the helicopter gets a Tank to give her the pilot program so she knows how to fly it. God, that was such an awesome moment, too, because, I mean, they established it in the ship, but yes. then just to be able to be like, oh, I need to know how to do this. Load me up. First time you see it, you're just like, that's fucking brilliant. Yeah, like her eyes like flutter in the back of her head. Yeah. Yeah, she she knows how to fly this helicopter. And by the way, she gets the model correct. Yes. This is a B-212 helicopter. It is one of these civilian variants of the Vietnam era Hueys. All right, so we got the helicopter and apparently when they filmed all this, they had the body, basically, and the rotors were all CG'd. Makes sense. Yeah, so now they fly down to the the level of the building where the agents are holding Morpheus. Neo opens fire out of the side door with a minigun, uh, kills the agents and Morpheus, and the movie's over. Yeah, it totally doesn't look like it in the shots of Neo firing. He's just firing the gun and very slowly moving it to the side. But when you see like the bullets in there, because the room's flooded, you can see bullets like hitting the ground. It very clearly sweeps the floor when it goes from one side to the other so he doesn't hit Morpheus. Even though the gun itself is kept completely level the entire time. <laughs> yeah, this is a gun that literally shoots five to 6,000 rounds per minute. So it is not a precision firearm. So they're literally standing behind Morpheus when he opens fire. So he would have just exploded all of them. Yeah, they would have all they're, died. They're to each side, though. They run to each side after he starts firing, but he would have just, like, if he fired in their general direction. Yes, well, there's been... sofas to try to hide behind, you see. <laughs> no, but like he opened fire as there's, yeah, th that's also goofy. But like, yeah, yeah he, they're standing behind Morpheus. He opens fire on them as they're standing behind Morpheus. He would have just vaporized all of them. Like that's, that's what really would have happened. But no, they all try and run and shoot back. But because, again, this is a such a fast firing gun, they can't dodge the bullets and he kills all the agents. Yay! And now Morpheus, through sheer force of will, just breaks out of his handcuffs. He starts running for the helicopter because the window's been completely blown away at this point. And the agents have, you know, taken over a bunch of other SWAT guys in another room. They come in, they see Morpheus running through the door. So Agent Smith pulls out his gun, starts shooting through the wall, hits Morpheus in the leg. Did pick time. Okay, so he doesn't want to kill Morpheus because they still got to get the information out of him. So he's shooting low into the wall. And then the bullet goes through the wall and travels at a parallel trajectory to the floor as if he'd gotten down real low and started shooting straight to clip him in the ankle. Oh, I did not notice that. But yeah, I'm seeing it. You're absolutely correct. Yes. Again, there are so few moments I got to take what I can get. <laughs> absolutely. And so Neil's like, oh, shit, he's not going to make it. So he jumps out of the side of the helicopter in a harness that he already had planned with a long strap. So like when he was harnessed in to use the gun, he had a good 50 foot of rope to... <laughs> 
it was there for, I guess it's for repelling. He put it on for safety. Who knows? But yeah, he jumps out and grabs Morpheus and hugs him in midair. And so Trinity flies away, but not before Agent Smith gets a few bullets in the helicopter. She's going to go down. She flies low above the buildings so Neo can drop Morpheus onto the roof of a skyscraper. Neo also lands on the skyscraper, but he's still attached to the harness. And right before the helicopter crashes into a building, Trinity gets up, shoots the part of the harness that's connected to the helicopter, grabs it, jumps out of the helicopter right before the helicopter crashes into the side of the building. So basically because she's attached to Neo and Neo gets leverage on the side of the skyscraper, she's able to swing into the building where he's at and not die. That was a mouthful. It's almost like they planned for this somehow, unless she was able to see him do that um, slow-mo, like wrap the thing around his arm. Yeah, wrap the strap around his arm a couple times. I think she knew it was connected to him, so if she, like, if he had landed yeah, on a building. somehow she noticed that, like, he's in this. He, you know, he's gonna hold on to this damn thing. You can get out this way. Somehow she saw him. And so this helicopter crashing into the building is also a very iconic part of the movie because you see the Matrix wobble, the building wobbles before the explosion happens. Clearly an incident like this kind of overloads the system him a little bit. The CGI is not as bad as it could have been, but it's definitely showing its age. Like we've seen definitely seen worse CGI up until this point. All right. Again, still looked fine. DVD quality. <laughs> and apparently Neo just doing this stuff has convinced everyone that he's the one. Except him. <laughs> Except him. Yeah. Like Tang's like, he's the one because he held on to the other end of a harness. And he moved like they do. That happened so long ago. Like, you don't connect that that's what they're looking at. I know. And also, still. Morpheus didn't see that. So, you know. They call Tank. Tank's very happy that Morpheus is alive. Directs them to an exit in a subway station. The agents find the harness on the rooftop. And apparently, the Sentinels have found their location in the real world. So... Dun, dun. Final climax inbound. And so the three, you know, Morpheus, Trinity, Neo make their way down to the subway station. A homeless dude is lying down there watching them. Morpheus picks up the phone first. And we actually, like, for the first time in this entire movie, see what happens when somebody exits the Matrix. Normally they just cut away before we actually watch that happen. He's like, Yeah, it's it's kind of weird to describe. He, he just sort of turns into like white energy and streams into it, but it's a lot better than. And I'm making it sound and space kind of like warps and flexes around where he was for a moment. The receiver like falls through the air as he disappears. It's, it's really cool. But the homeless dude watches this and he's like, what the fuck did I just see? So Agent Smith picks up on this. Yeah, there was enough of anomaly, like it just blasted through the system or whatever. And so now he's honed in on where they are. Again, Trinity thinks this is a really good time to be vague about what the Oracle told her. But the phone rings! Damn, Trinity, you almost had to explain yourself, but, you know, literally saved by the bell. Yeah, so she puts the phone up to her ear just in time to see that Agent Smith's there, and she disappears right before he shoots the phone receiver and destroys it. Bye-bye, homeless dude. So Trinity goes to the real world and she's like, send me back. And Tank's like, I can't. Why not? The plot won't let me. Well, the, the, the phone got shot. But can you send him to a, him to a nearby one? I don't know. It, it felt like it, it's, it's like. She wouldn't get there in time. The plot won't let her. Right. And we get the, the iconic line. Mr. Anderson, because he he's he's dead naming him. I was just about to say, yeah, Hugo Weaving dead names Keanu Reeves. 
to go back to the trans allegory a bit, a big part of it is because trans people feel that society is telling them to be a certain way. They feel that they're, you know, deep inside that there's something else. And through taking a pill, you know, transitioning like Neo does, able to find their true identity and their true name, which he is Neo. So he doesn't identify as Thomas Anderson. He identifies as Neo. So calling him Mr. Anderson is dead naming him. He was assigned Anderson at birth. He now identifies as Neo, essentially. Yep. And so Neo doesn't run away because he's starting to believe that he's the one. And there's kind of like a Wild West standoff, you know, in the terms of the shots and the sound effect choices that they make on this subway platform. And I think this is a nod to the fact that Will Smith did the Wild Wild West movie instead of this one. So <laughs> They'd had this script for so long and it done so many revisions. I think this was just already part of it. So much of this Fair had enough. to be planned out in the first place. So. But yeah, you're right. Like there's instead of the tumbleweed, there's like the newspaper probably from the homeless guy that goes blowing across in front of him. It's, yeah, yeah, it's very shootout outside the saloon. So Neo manifests a gun out of nowhere. Uh, APOC gave him one a long, long time ago. Oh, no, they left the Matrix after that. Yeah. He just he just had one tucked in the back of his pants. Either he had one just tucked in the back of his pants, or he just manifested it. Tucked in the pants. Okay, probably tucked in the pants. But yeah, he pulls out a gun. Agent Smith pulls out a gun. They do a bullet time, jumpy in the air moment, which is still pretty cool. Yeah, it's still kind of there. It's, again, not the best CGI, but there's worse CGI in this movie. And so they get down to the ground. They both have their guns to each other's heads, but they're both empty. So they start fighting. And Agent Smith beats the crap out of him, knocks him to the ground, bleeding. But then Morph Neo gets up and he does the Morpheus beckon from the, the dojo scene. So we know shit's about to get real. And he does pretty good at holding his own. He does a little better than he did in the you know previous phase of the fight, but he still gets wrecked pretty hard also this is a very dusty fight like every time they get hit just tons of dust flies off each of them it's i love that yeah very dusty fight and so knocks neo to the ground through a newsstand agent smith hears a train coming gets an idea throws them down onto the tracks, puts them in a headlock, and basically is going to let the train run them both over and kill them. But of course, Agent Smith will survive. He'll just take over another person. And he's like, goodbye, Mr. Anderson. And he says, my name is Neo. And he jumps up, slams Agent Smith against the roof of the tunnel. Smith releases them. They both fall back on the track, but Neo backflips onto the platform just in time, but Agent Smith gets run over by the train. Many bones were broken in that stunt. A lot of bones were broken in this movie. Like, a lot of people got injured. Yeah, I mean, Hugo Weaving had hip surgery. Because of this scene? No, no, because of something else. And so uh, it was actually in the uh, in pre-production when they were in training but they managed to reschedule so his fights and shit were later on. He was able to recover. This was stuntman, but yeah, like several broken ribs. I forget what else, an arm, a leg, like multiple modes from getting ratcheted up into the ceiling and then dropping down again. Yes. Yeah, that that looks like it could break some bones. So, however, Agent Smith takes over another person in the train that stops at the station, and so now it's time to run. Uh, back in the real world, alarms are going off in the Nebuchadnezzar because squiddies are inbound. They're about five, six minutes away. Tells Tank to charge the EMP, but they can't use it while he's still in the Matrix. Otherwise, they're going to kill him. It's a chance we might have to take. And I also like this. Um, by the time the squids get there and start cutting in, it actually has been... Eh, 
five or six minutes of screen time instead of one of those things where you know the big red bomb clock is counting down and it's only 20 seconds and a minute and a half later we now have seven seconds to go and so speaking of neo uh he steals a yuppie's cell phone so he can call tank uh tank gives him the location of a nearby exit there's a chase goes through a market goes through an apartment building i love this chase because it really hammers home the agents can be anyone yeah because no matter where he runs they're taking over people and they're like close by so yeah instead of just chasing him the whole time it's he runs by people and someone like you see someone holding a bag of groceries and there's a kid looking up. I'm like, what the fuck? And all of a sudden it's Hugo weaving with a gun and he runs through an apartment. You see an old lady in the kitchen with a knife. And then all of a sudden that knife is embedded in the wall next to him because it's fucking Hugo weaving. And he threw that shit. Like it's fantastic. I love it. It's great. Uh, And while this happens, the squiddies, like you said, they start cutting open the hall with their lasers. And my God, again, this CGI has not aged well. Theme of the movie. Yeah, this this one was really bad. So back in the Matrix, Neo, he's running up the fire escape. And I have, until I started watching for this episode, I had never noticed this detail before because he is running up the fire escape of the hotel that Trinity was in at the beginning of the movie. And gets sent to the same room. This explains how when they're outside and he starts running up, the other two agents are chasing him and Hugo Weaving just kind of stands there and looks up and I believe that's how he knew to be inside the room. Yes. Because Keanu gets there, he whips the door open and all of a sudden Hugo Weaving's right there, gun to his chest and pulls the trigger. He's just like, fuck unloads a desert eagle clip into him so the movie is literally ending where it began it's all coming full circle so neo dies and And so neo gets shot he dies and then the movie abruptly ends because they all die from the squiddies it's it was weird i didn't remember that happening oh you're you're forgetting something love yeah just kidding trinity whispers some bullshit about how the man she loves is the one because of what the oracle told her and she loves him and kisses him back to life Ugh. yay <laughs> so dumb now get up now get up you can hear me through the matrix whatever apparently so yeah he gets up uh the agents are have been walking down the hallway at the end of the hall, they turn around, they all start shooting at him, but he doesn't have to dodge bullets because he knows he's the one. He literally stops in the midair. The bullets fall to the ground. Agent Smith tries to fight him, but Neo is so good now, he could just fight it with one hand. He goes Robin Hood men in tights versus the sheriff. Perry, Perry, thrust us. Good. <laughs> not even, he turns to the side, he's not even watching and he's blocking everything. <laughs> ridiculous and I, I remember just like watching this kid be like oh my god he's so cool you know I want to be like Neo when I grow up and so he kicks Agent Smith down the hallway and then he literally jumps inside Agent Smith and explodes him from the inside yep and by the way throughout this like he is so the one at this point he can like lit- see the code of the Matrix he just sees yeah it. he's no longer seeing the hallway he's seeing the code that it's made out of and the agents as well and that's how he's able to enter him like a like a robo squid through the midsection yeah he is the robo shrimp now oh uh, sorry i said squid yeah robo shrimp look at me look at me i am the robo shrimp now so yeah he spooks the other agents away and then again trinity's like neo and he can hear that shit because he he whips over to the, towards that ringing phone so that he can get out yep and they turn on the emp just in time right before the squiddy kills him and trinity yeah, I, I don't know why it thinks it had to get that close, but... It has a laser beam. It's a short-range laser. It diffuses very easily. I know what you're about to say, and I keep cutting you off. I don't care that when they were cutting 
through the hole. The laser was slicing through the rest of the ship and destroying parts of it. I don't give a shit. This is human flesh. You gotta be up close instead of, you know, that whatever steel construction that this ship was made out of. Anyway, It's human flesh protected by the power of love. Ah, uh, well, that is the strongest human flesh of all, as we all know. Makes all the difference. That's why we're so weak. <laughs> Because nobody loves us. We're just so dead. (laughs) Join us on our other podcast, World Weary Motherfuckers. Or just go back and listen to Santa Claus. (laughs) Just go back and listen to the Santa Claus of the movie. You just listen to how dead we are inside. (laughs) So anyways, yeah, the A&P of the Squiddies. And that's when everyone on the ship froze to death because there's no sun in the world. There's no natural heat. The only way they would not freeze to death in the real world is by being in the ship where presumably there would be some sort of heating system. They've just fried their electronic circuits, so they're fucking dead. Yeah, and they're definitely away from the Earth's core because they got to be up to uh, broadcast depth. Yeah. Sweet. Everyone's dead. So many times where everyone's dead. But no, everyone lives, apparently. We get to listen to Neo leaving a very passive-aggressive voicemail from inside the Matrix. I don't know how passive it is. He's pretty assertive. It's just, this is how it is now. But here's the thing. This entire movie, he's been the one presented with choices, and he's been the one who's been having to make choices. In this final scene of the film, he is the one presenting a choice. Yeah, because he's like, look, you know, I'm going to let everyone know what the hell's going on, and you have to choose how we go from there to whoever he's talking to. It's clearly somebody involved with the machines. So yeah, he is now the choice giver, not the choice taker. And then he flies away. Yeah, he puts on his sunglasses, which you can buy, by the way, that people make reproductions of these. And he flies away to uh, Rage Against the Machines song called Wake Up. You get it? You get it? Yeah. Because everyone's asleep in the Matrix. Ah, but he's going to wake them up. And it's Rage Against the Machine. Ah. Ah. Ah, great bookend. So so much symbology. I'm, I'm feeling really bad about all this right now. <laughs> symbology. <laughs> and that was The Matrix. And of course, before we go, we as millennials know that every movie and TV show has a moral. Uh, so, John, what did you learn today? I learned Robo Shrimp caused 9 11. <laughs> <laughs> They did. They really did. (laughs) I learned other stuff watching the movie, but that's what I learned today. (laughs) (laughs) And I learned that it's far more practical to bring multiple pairs of unwieldy weapons than it is to bring spare ammunition. (laughs) (laughs) For close quarters battle in a hallway against a SWAT team. (laughs) They should have just brought extra magazines. But apparently I'm wrong and the Matrix is right. Just bring pairs of guns. Yeah, but it's it's rule of cool. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, late bingo card entry there. And of course, before we go, we need to tell you what we're doing next time. John, what do the folks at home have to look forward to? Well, we're going to be staying within the sci-fi realm and ending the year out with a little bit of Resident Evil. That's right. We started off this year with a Paul W.S. Anderson movie, and we're going to finish with a Paul W.S. Anderson movie. I do have a review. This is the second one that I ever read for the movie, and I said it has to be this because of the comparison in it. I'm only going to do the first little bit. There's a lot more. But anyway, now remember, this is a review for Resident Evil. Many people say this movie is not deep, not intellectual, whereas movies like The Matrix is. 
Movies like The Matrix is. Yeah. Lovely grammar. Exactly. I loved The Matrix, but I have to say that Resident Evil is very much intellectual in a different way. How often in life is it that our family members, friends, and relatives seem like zombies? In a way, this movie says more about humanity and says it more realistically than The Matrix. Because in this movie, the enemies are other people. And often in life, our enemies are other people. Sometimes the ones closest to us. Yeah, that's called every single fucking zombie movie ever made. Also, I'm pretty sure they made that point in The Matrix as well about other people potentially being the enemies. So I don't know what movie they watched. There's a lot of repetition in this review and makes the point that they're machines slash programs. But in Resident Evil, they were actually people. So it's more impactful. It gets weirdly political and a little bit racist. And... (laughs) Okay. And the rest of this review reads like 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 a 16-year-old writing a critical movie review for the first time. <laughs> but the fact that I that the second one I read literally referenced the movie we just reviewed was good very apropos. Yeah, and I think once we watch Resident Evil again, um we're going to prove this motherfucker way the fuck wrong. <laughs> And that's our show. If you liked it, please subscribe. If you loved it, please share with all your friends. And whether you liked it or loved it, we'd appreciate it if you gave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts to help others find us. Also, be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. Links to both of those are in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time for another episode of Millennial Rewind.